Your lives, Mayor. Thank you. I'd like to call to order the City Council meeting of November the 21st, 2023. Tonight's meeting is a hybrid meeting. Community members are welcome to join us either in person or remotely through Zoom or by telephone. Clerk, will you call the roll? Councilmember Nixon? Here. Councilmember Black? Here. Councilmember Curtis? Here. Councilmember Falcone? Here. Councilmember Pascal? Here. Deputy Mayor Arnold? Here. Mayor Sweet? Here. Thank you. Our study session tonight is on two topics. The first is a Kirkland Transportation Plan update. The second topic is a storm readiness and system resilience update. We expect to reconvene our regular <clears throat> meeting at approximately 7.30. City Manager. Okay, uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. So as you mentioned, there's two topics. We're giving an hour to the first topic, which is the Kirkland Transportation Plan. That topic alone could probably take many, many, many hours. So we're gonna be focusing primarily on the prioritization of projects discussion. Uh, but we welcome council's feedback on policies and goals as well. And we'll also be coming back multiple times to check in with the council on the rest of the plan, including policies and actions. So, um, but at 6.30, I will be asking that we stop that discussion and focus on the PSE presentation, which will come at the end. Um, and so with that, as an overview, uh, we're gonna introduce Kimberly Scrivener, our senior planner, and Doug McIntyre, our transportation manager. Welcome, both of you. Thank you. Good evening, Madam Mayor and members of the council. Doug McIntyre, transportation manager. Uh, with me tonight is Kim Scrivener, our transportation planner. And um, uh, as Kurt has mentioned, we are here for the Kirkland Transportation Plan. And specifically tonight, we wanna get input from the council on a really important part of this plan, which is the 20-year project list. Um, in developing the list, we're looking at a variety of needs throughout our system. And um, a really important part of that is being able to objectively prioritize the projects to help the city make decisions about investments in the system. Um, so with that, I'll turn over to Kim to go through a presentation um, and then we'll reconvene for uh, Q&A and discussion. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, Doug, um, City Manager, Mayor Sweet, um, Council, uh, thank you. Let me pull up my presentation. Um, and I'm already sharing the screen, is that correct? It looks like it. It's green, it's green, so I just wanna, okay, just wanted to confirm. Um, thank you, everybody. Um, so tonight we are going to dive right in, as Doug mentioned and Kurt mentioned, into the, the project list development and our prioritization process. Um, as what's, what was previously mentioned, um, you do um, have a copy of <coughs> our goals and policies um, and the, the actions list. Um, I'm gonna try to get through this presentation um, pretty quickly um, to leave as much time for your feedback as possible. Um, while this presentation is, is focused on the project list and prioritization, we do welcome your comments on the, the policies, um, the goals, policies, and actions. Um, and just noting that um, we did spend quite a lot of time with our Transportation Commission working on those goals and policies. We spent two workshops with them. Oh, I wasn't shared. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> quite shared. Thank you. You're <laughs> welcome. Um, 
we did um, share, uh, spend a significant amount of time with the Transportation Commission working through the goals and policies um, through two workshops, so essentially about four hours with them um, through two rounds. We didn't necessarily get too far into the actions list, um, but just wanted to mention that um, along with a joint uh, Transportation and Planning Commission meeting where we focused in on the land use um, policies and measures related to that interaction between um, transportation and land use. Um, so like I said, we're gonna focus the presentation on the project list and prioritization, but welcome all of your comments on um, both uh, the measures and um, the policies. Um, so we are developing our 20-year um, the capital or the transportation component of the capital facilities plan, the 20-year capital facilities plan. And um, in part of the, the transportation plan, we will be making recommendations for the six-year um, transportation improvement plan. Um, the projects list, what we're doing is we're developing or what I call kind of our universe of projects, which are, are identified through our previous planning efforts and studies um, that includes the Safe Routes to School, the Active Transportation Plan, the 85th Station Area Plan, uh, many studies that we've done, um, along with any projects that are currently in our, our six-year tip through safety analysis that we do every two years. We do a local road safety plan, um, uh, looking at our most current crash data. Um, we, we are looking at projects that are suggested from the public. Um, those do go through an engineering review to make sure that um, we kind of agree that um, those suggestions are a good idea. Um, and then projects that support future capacity. And so we're putting together kind of a universe of projects. Um, and then once we have that universe of projects, what we're doing is grouping them. Some projects will go into a program and some projects will go into an itemized list and that will have a clear title, description, location. Um, so for example, our, our sidewalk program, um, the active transportation plan, um, we evaluated um, almost every sidewalk gap in the entire city, um, absent um, sidewalks on cul-de-sacs or dead-end roads. Um, so the, the idea is to um, utilize the existing work that has recently been adopted through the active transportation plan and the Safe Routes to School plan um, through a sidewalk program um, using that prioritization process. And that's kind of one of the example of like a program, projects that would go into a program. Um, the, in terms of the itemized project list, again, and we'll have projects that have a clear location, project description, um, and then there are some projects that we will not prioritize, um, and those projects that are, are those that are already funded, um, that are required for concurrency, um, or those that are um, development-driven, um, that were, um, in, an example of that is that as part of the universe of projects, we're folding in um, the citywide connections map projects um, so that we have this comprehensive list and then we can kind of slowly turn on enough projects whether they're um, in our program or whether they need to be prioritized or where they belong in that 20-year project list. Um, when it comes to prioritization, um, what we're, um, we, the, our purpose essentially is linking um, our projects to the goals in the plan. Um, that'll help us identify those that come first, um, help you all um, as decision makers make decisions and make um, help us all with our limited resources. 
Um, we, in terms of the considerations for the prioritization measures, we were looking for measures. Um, we don't want too many measures, so um, we want to make sure that we're using read readily available data. Um, that is, the process is easy to replicate, that's understandable, and then again, like we're reflecting the goals in the plan. Um, and so, um, ultimately, like I mentioned, we'll have a universe of projects, and then we'll have our prioritized project list um, for our 20-year our um, capital improvement program. And we will be putting together some high-level cost estimates. Um, we do plan to kind of put together a range um, in terms of those high-level cost estimates. And then... Um, and then we'll be we'll be comparing that um, to our um, you know forecasted revenues for the next twenty years. Um, there will be probably a sizable number of projects that will remain unfunded. Um, again, we will still have our kind of our information about our universe of project and needs that the city has identified. Um, and then in the future, as, as funding conditions change, hopefully more of those unfunded projects can get um, put into the funded list. Um, but this prioritization process will help us uh, make sure that we're using our money wisely. Um, I do want to mention that um, the, what, the materials that were given to you all this evening um, is the, the draft of the prioritization measures that were shared with the Joint Transportation and Planning Commission. Um, we, there were some suggestions from them, and then since then, a couple, some conversations that we've had internally as well. Um, we've opted not to change anything um, in terms of the measures and the scores until we have this conversation with you all. Um, and then we'll go back and um, reassess and um, kind of uh, reevaluate the scoring process. We just wanted to make sure we're only doing that one time. So um, as we get into that, what I'm going to do is go walk through each measure um, associated with each goal. Um, there will be time at the end for discussion, but um, feel free to stop me at any time if you want to talk about any specific measure. Um, I think the first measure, safety, is one I might pause with. Um, so first goal I'd like to talk about in terms of the measure is, excuse me, our safety goal, um, reducing um, all fatal and serious crashes and reducing all crashes in Kirkland. Um, the proposal here is um, to give a high uh, score for projects that are on our high injury corridors um, that are identified in our Vision Zero plan. Um, and then... Um, and then, in a, you know, um, so the high injury corridors, those are based on our fatal and serious crashes, as well as bicycle and pedestrian injury crashes. Um, there are other places in the city um, where we do see crash patterns um, that may not result in serious or fatal crashes. Those be, would be medium. And then the lowest score would be countermeasures. Um, some proposed adjustments recognize that um, the, the score here is, so the highest possible score at all the measures um, is 40, and this is 30. One thing we've talked about is, is having safety be uh, tied to the highest or the highest score. Um, we didn't muck around with the scores, like I mentioned, because we wanted to make sure to have this conversation with you all about the measures before um, kind of churning that. 
Um, but that is kind of one suggestion. And then um, another suggestion is that, um, and I'll go to the next slide, our um, high-priority corridors from our Vision Zero plan do have um, kind of a high-priority one, two, and three, and so we could adjust the scores on that. Um, I think this is the one of the measures that might garner more conversation, and so I would like to pause and see if there are any comments, unless you'd all wait, like to wait until the end. Council? Councilmember Pascal. Thanks, Madam Mayor. I agree that safety should be considered as the highest priority, and so therefore the scoring should be reflective of that in some way. I would also encourage us to look at ways in which we could consider not just historical collision information, because that's looking back, but also looking forward in a proactive manner on where you know there's some potential safety issues that maybe there was a near miss or there's been a number of issues, but there wasn't necessarily a recorded uh, collision. There's a lot of new information out there with all the safety funding from the federal government that is really encouraging municipalities and communities across the, the United States about considering other forms of data to consider. Um, and it's interesting that one of the leaders of that data is actually in Kirkland with INREX. They actually have a partnership with like a number of the car manufacturers where they actually collect data on you know, it's amazing with our cars these days, they'll record information like anytime you, you brake hard or do other maneuvers that might be dangerous, they'll record that and then INREX basically downloads that information and can then map that across jurisdictions. And so you're able to really identify those areas where there might be some near misses or some, some safety issues related to vision or um, sight distance or other things, and I think that's really powerful information to where it'd be great to see us try to harness that somehow, rather than just the, well, I shouldn't say just, but rather than uh, the historical information. I think that's very important, but it's also nice to co complement it with uh, the proactive data. So those are a couple things that I would, I would, I would ask that we look at. Um, the other thing is, is that I would want to make sure that any type of improvement that gets a high safety score is an improvement that actually addresses a safety issue. So, for example, if um, there was a safety issue, a crossing issue, and, uh, and a pedestrian is hit in a crosswalk, but the project is to widen the roadway to um, lengthen the crosswalk, well, I wouldn't want that project then to get the, the safety score. So that type of thing. Thank you, Councilmember Curtis. Thank you, Madam Mayor. And I had similar comments to Councilmember Pascal. Um, one of the things we talked about, I think, when we were looking at Vision Zero, is we're not capturing any data from the CKC. Mm -hmm. And as we look at micro mobility on the CKC, there's more potential for crashes. Currently, we define as cars and pedestrians or cars and bikes. But now we're going to run into electric bikes and electric bikes. So we need to look at that. And um, along the same lines as Councilman Pascal, 
I'm interested in not just crashes, but conflicts. Mm -hmm. So where there's a potential, because we hear about it all the time, we get emails, you know, my child was almost hitting this crosswalk on the way mm -hmm. to school. We need to start capturing that data and not just focus on car and people conflicts. So thank you. Great. Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. We'll just uh, pile on to the great thoughtful th feedback that we've received so far from my colleagues. Uh, I remember when we got our last Vision Zero update that um, one of the highlight, well, not a highlight, one of the, um, the main findings was that we were seeing um, fatalities in a parking lots in the city of Kirkland. Um, and so I would like to know what we're doing about that related to our transportation plan. Uh, are we, what kind of funding are we putting towards partnering with uh, private par parking lot owners and what are we doing in our own parking lots? What are best practices? Um, and how are we prioritizing that in this as well? I realize that's not traditionally what we look at and some of that is not on city property and uh, it's still within our city and there are still things we can do to improve that. So I'd like to know what we're doing on that front. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Deputy Mayor Arnold. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, I support what we're hearing from Councilmember Curtis and Councilmember Pascal on the prioritizing of the safety measures beyond um, uh, collision and crash history. Um, I would actually take it further and say that for some of the known ways to improve safety where we have um, known gaps, like something that closes a sidewalk gap, something that separates um, people that are cycling from vehicle travel, those should get a high safety uh, rating um, regardless. Uh, when we're, whenever we're doing something that reduces vehicle speeds, we know that's a proven safety measure. That should get a high, high score regardless, and we'd like to see some more detail there. Thank you. Thank you all. Um, I think it's reasonable to suggest that public safety or the safety aspect does deserve a 40. <laughs> um, so, and I think they give you lots of opportunities to figure out how to get it to a 40. With that, go ahead. Great, thank you. Um, okay, so moving along to active transportation, I'm not, not gonna read all of these to you, but um, high quality network, low stress, making active transportation a first choice for many trips. Um, the, the focus here would be, um, or the, the concept um, for this measure would be util utilizing the prioritization that was, has already been applied through the active transportation plan and the safer routes to school plans. Um, so if, if a project um, was identified in one of those plans and had a high score, um, it would get high, the highest points, 30 points. I'm starting at the bottom here. Um, and for instance, if a, if a project scored high in the Safer Routes to School plan and it scored a medium in the active transportation plan, that project would get a high, that 30 points. Um, the, the low stress environment, um, this would be uh, essentially bonus points um, for projects that provide that low stress environment. So um, bonus points for added protection, so protected bike lanes, Neighborhood greenways, we consider those all ages and abilities facilities, um, uh, rapid flashing beacons or hawk signals, um, those types of things, um, projects that really um, um, put that higher level of safety. And then um, a couple extra bonus points for um, access to the Cross Kirkland Corridor. 
And um, I guess at this point, I know that safety was going to be one that you would want to kind of talk about. Um, would you like me to pause at each measure, or should I go through them and we can um, have discussion at the yeah, end? Yeah, we should just go through each one. Okay. Um, for public transportation, um, the concept here is to um, prioritize projects um, that are within a, a, a bus stop of a high-frequency corridor. Um, these would be existing stops. Um, and then um, stops that are on local, that connect to local routes for medium, and then future transit routes um, being the lowest. Um, these, the concept would be um, based on um, Metro's long range plan, and, um, and as, like I mentioned, existing routes, and then within a quarter of a mile, um, the Planning and um, Transportation Commission, uh, it was uh, brought up one of the questions was why not a half a mile? And um, the reason why we don't do half a mile is that once we buffer our transit routes by half a mile, we start to cover the entire city, and the measure is not that valuable, which is why we stick to a quarter mile. Um, in terms of vehicle network management, this was previously the goal that was um, titled motor vehicles. Um, we changed this um, to be a little bit more clear about what um, Kirkland actually um, uh, manages in our, through our public works department, which is our kind of our vehicle network. Um, and this would be um, the improving operations, um, such as signal modification and channelization, those types of things. Um, uh, apologize if the, the definitions on the top is kind of weird. It's not really a definition. Um, that just really indicates that um, this is, would be a more subjective measure um, um, for our engineering team to review um, and make sure that this would get that, um, what type of score this would get. Um, it would be based on the type of arterial. Um, the, I think one benefit to this uh, measure is that it does help us when projects, when we know enough about projects um, where we have information about channelization and signal modification, it does help us identify those projects that um, would go into that six-year list versus the 20-year list because we know a little bit more information. It's a little bit farther along in the process. In terms of technology, so this is um, you know, making sure that we're uh, flexible and equipped to adapt to new technologies. And so the concept here is that um, this would go above and beyond your traditional ITS that was, I just talked about in the previous slide. Um, this would be a project that would add bicycle and pedestrian counters. Um, passive detection, um, which we've talked about quite uh, a little bit recently. We've um, had a, um, some outreach with some uh, community members that have a mobility issues, and that has been brought up a little bit. Um, the bicycle detection, um, we've had some of our bicycle detection that hasn't been working very well, those types of things. Um, electrification, so it just kind of amplifies that technology one step further than traditional ITS. Again, this would be an engineering team review. And then um, the additional technology that goes kind of supporting new things. Um, we currently don't have projects right now, but we could um, by the end of our public engagement process or even in the future if we use these measures in terms of um, flexible transit, um, electric assist bicycle runner, those types of things. So um, we've been asked to um, being able to respond to future technologies. I will note that this um, second measure, there's a, an error in the materials that was sent out in your packet 
Um, that second measure was listed under the partnership goal. Um, it's obviously not a, not a partnership measure, um, so I moved that for the slide. Maintenance, um, providing a long-term maintenance benefit. Um, most of our capital projects, again, we're, we're talking about um, uh, evaluating projects in our current project list, um, our universe of projects. Um, and so this would be um, projects that provide that some type of long-term maintenance benefit, so a roundabout. Um, perhaps we, we get a, a new um, a roadway rebuild, and that takes away from our um, paving maintenance program, that type of thing. And then in terms of equity, um, we have the, um, the benefit of the new equity mapping tool that was created for our capital improvement program. Um, and so the idea is to use that um, equity mapping tool um, to, to focus on our, um, to help us um, measure for equity for this um, project list um, and kind of meeting this and um, kind of a scoring um, according to that index score. So this is a, a location-based score. And then an additional score for projects that would add um, some type of um, benefit for um, people with disabilities. Um, I do want to mention um, there is some material in your packet um, that gives a little bit more of the, of the background and some of the detailed um, data around our equity tool. Uh, but it does address um, um, income, uh, people of color, um, uh, uh, limited English, and um, other, those types of um, equity measures. I, again, I, I think it's a nice... Um, benefit to be able to use this tool. It was specifically developed for um, capital projects, which is exactly what we're looking at. And then sustainability, um, uh, reducing our environmental impacts. Um, the, the proposal here um, is twofold, um, uh, reducing vehicle miles traveled and um, supporting alternatives to vehicle trips and then avoiding sensitive areas. And then if you're in a sensitive area, that project should mitigate that in some way um, for that medium score, and then zero if the, if, the, if the project doesn't apply. And then, so linked to land use, um, we did have quite a long conversation um, about this with the Joint uh, Transportation and Planning Commission meeting. Um, the proposal here is a higher score that supports an urban growth center, medium for commercial centers, low for neighborhood centers, and then uh, some bonus points if a project um, provides access to uh, schools or parks. Um, there was a um, robust conversation about this. Um, one um, concept that was brought up at that meeting is to perhaps switch the neighborhood centers with commercial centers. Um, recognizing that there's um, a lot of interest um, to kind of support these kind of local, uh, more pocket centers, um, and then um, adding additional score for the annexed area. Um, I will mention um, some of the, um, there has been a um, kind of a, a lot of investment in the north end of the city in terms of um, Winita Drive and 100th, and not to mention Totem Lake, um, and so, but. That's just a, um, an idea that was brought up um, in some of the kind of follow-up conversations that we've had about some of the investments that we've had um, at the North End. 
And then um, I did print out a map for you. I know this map is a little bit hard to see, just a reminder of where those um, neighborhood centers versus the commercial centers are. Um, and then be an active partner. Um, this, the concept for this measure would be to um, give points for projects that connect to a regional um, connections outside of the city um, and that fill a gap crossing jurisdictional boundaries. I think probably one of the most um, significant example would be connections to the Spring District and Light Rail and Bellevue, um, but also um, there are some um, connections on the, our north end as well. Um, and then uh, added points for um, leveraging coordination with our with partners. Um, so if we're partnering with Metro on a project or even internally with Parks on a project, um, that would amplify that because um, we would get additional benefit for that. And with that, I'm really looking forward to hearing um, your feedback. <clears throat> uh, Councilmember Black, sorry. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, thank you, Kimberly, for your presentation. Uh, so I um, I found this discussion of the this whole uh, presentation and discussion of the prioritization really helpful. And um, I have three that I want to drill down on a little bit. Uh, the first is uh, goal three, which is public related to public transportation. Uh, goal seven related to equity, and goal nine, uh, the link to land use. So on. Um, First, on the public transportation goal three, uh, my understanding is that uh, this goal includes those infrastructure improvements uh, that facilitate, not just facilitate bus trips, but also facilitate riders getting to and from transit stops. Um, I really like that combination. I like this prioritization item, this measure. Um, I've been in regional meetings uh, with King County Metro uh, folks, representatives from King County Metro. And I've heard reference to these types of infrastructure investments um, as being necessary for the return of a higher level of service uh, to northeast King County cities like ours. Um, so I think this is really important uh, for all the reasons that um, we've discussed as a council in the city uh, recently before. Um, so I like knowing that those prioritization uh, that those type of projects are being prioritized. Um, so not really a question in there, just a point of emphasis. I think this is a really important important one. Um, on equity, um, with that one, um, I want us to be really mindful of interpreting a goal like um, like number seven uh, when it comes to prior, especially when it comes to prioritizing transit related transportation projects. Uh, in such a way that it sort of inadvertently and artificially locks in current patterns um, of lower income housing in our city. Um, I think the language in our policy is actually broad enough. Um, I would just like to make sure that the, especially the mapping tool, that that doesn't inadvertently cause us to become um, myopic uh, because the map is sort of a current state. Um, and I think we have a vision uh, in which, you know, families of both teens and adults who make up the workforce for many of our smaller businesses, um, generally wage earning um, individuals, that they have housing choices in all of our neighborhoods, regardless of what the current state is. Um, and transit can be an important element of that. Um, 
I realize that's somewhat aspirational given economics and some of the desirability of some of our neighborhoods, but it's a worthwhile goal in my mind. And I just want to be mindful that we don't let uh, the goal in, in number seven uh, sort of in, inadvertently steer us toward sort of locking in uh, current uh, housing patterns. That we're really looking at a, at a complete community uh, with people uh, where everyone ha has opportunities uh, everywhere throughout our city, if that makes sense. And then on um, uh, policy number nine, the link to land use, um, first I have a question. So when we talk about commercial centers, so when we're, our prioritization measure talks about commercial centers, is that synonymous with our two urban centers, Totem Lake Urban Center and, and the downtown urban center? The, our urban growth center would be that top priority, the high. So that would be Totem oh, yeah. Lake and downtown combined with the 85th station area. Okay. And there are additional kind of mixed-use commercial centers. And that's why I printed out that map for you, because it can get a little, some of the definitions. All right. Well, I'm not great with color, so I don't know if we're using color to distinguish between the um, commercial district or the commercial centers and the neighborhood centers. Um, is it just the ones that are labeled neighborhood centers are, are neighborhood centers? Yes. And if it's, la if it's labeled a light industrial office, is that a commercial center? That or is a that commercial a commercial center. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. No, that's a great question. Okay. <laughs> So it's either an urban center or it's a neighborhood center, and if it's neither of those, it's a commercial center. Yep. If it's a center at all. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so what I was trying to understand, so that's great. What I was trying to understand, we're, we're looking at this issue of, of sort of flipping the prioritization of commercial centers versus neighborhood centers. That's the recommendation we've received. What I wanted to understand, because um, our neighborhood centers – uh, our urban centers and our commercial centers probably are where a lot of our jobs are. Um, um, our neighborhood centers are probably mainly focused on sort of our day-to-day -day commercial service needs, drugstores and grocery stores and, and our small, small uh, rest, restaurants and whatnot. So what I want to understand is if we do switch this prioritization, um, I, what I want to understand is what effect it's going to have on the number and length of sort of longer commuter car trips. Because if one of our goals is sort of reduce traffic on our streets and roads by reducing the number of long uh, car trips in and out of our city, um, if it's to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by getting fewer cars, taking long trips, you know, service providers in Kirkland living in Granite Falls, for example, which I have a concrete example of, um, how does this, would this flip make that harder or easier from a prioritizing transportation projects standpoint? Um, my understanding of the conversation with the joint meeting was that um, there was value in prioritizing projects where um, people can access their kind of their local coffee shop or their little local grocery store, their little um, to. Um, really kind of support the local neighborhood so that we're reducing car trips for those local trips yep. um, versus probably more of those kind of uh, those kind of local amenity trips versus trips to jobs yeah um, and that was I, that was would be how I would summarize that conversation. okay that's super helpful I, I have a hard time figuring out how to compare and contrast um, those two goals 
yeah. on whether one's a priority or not. Because they're both, they're obviously both priorities, they both score points. It's a question of whether one should score more points than another. Um, and I just really, th I think it comes down to what our real, you know, what our real goal is. Um, and, um, I, I, you know, I, so, and this is a decision that was, this was a question that was asked and answered at one point uh, by my predecessors um, on this council. Um, and now, you know, we're looking to make that change, and I just feel like I, I need a meaningful reason to make that change, and I just, I'm thinking about the, the considerations on both sides. I don't, Kimberly, I don't expect you to try to answer that question for me, but yeah. do you have I will thoughts? mention that um, this was, this proposal was pulled out by transportation staff. Um, there, I, we did not necessarily get from planning that you know one is higher than the other. Obviously, our urban growth centers are kind of our, our major priority in terms of where our jobs and our growth are. Um, commercial centers um, will likely have more growth. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's it's this is a question for you, Council. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Doug, please. Oh, do you have anything? Yeah, sorry to interrupt, um, but just real quick to add to this is um, the reason why it was proposed as, as it is, urban centers, commercial centers, and neighborhood centers, is essentially descending densities and activities and draw. So um, if we can get a way to improve the network to get to those centers where there is more density and more volume of trips, um, that, that was the intent behind this, and, and that, that was discussed with the commissions as well. So I just wanted to add that point to what Kimberly said. Okay, and this change you feel like would, achieve, would help achieve that goal? If we kept it, it, I think that is kind of more in line with the in, original intent, um, but the conversation, as, as Kim mentioned, was really about kind of um, improving the access to those smaller centers for the local trips, kind of cutting those out yeah. in a way, um, and kind of enhancing the community character in that region. Yeah. Yeah, no, I certainly understand that too. I have one more uh, thought, and that has to do with the uh, question of prioritizing annexation projects. Is, Madam Mayor, is now the right time to ask that question? You're on a roll. <laughs> okay. So uh, I'll just so this will be it for me on this. Um, so I'll just go ahead and take this one. Um, so I just this is one where I just really want to know more. Um, I really want to know more about the investments that were made in the annexation area by King County prior to the annexation in 2011, um, and then of course by Kirkland since 2011, um, before we decide on whether or not to award additional points for projects um, in, in this more recent annex, annexation area. And it is just the most recent annexation area, it's not the only annexation area we have in the city of Kirkland. Um, and I understand perceptions, and I understand that there's going to be anecdotes. I also understand there's probably going to be a battle of anecdotes uh, when it comes to where, where the investments have gone over the last 12 years, uh, and then, of course, prior to that by King County. Um, uh, I, but I don't really want to make a decision just based on sort of perceptions. I don't want to make a decision just based on sort of a battle of anecdotes. So I... I want us to assess the potential deficit based on real data and, um, and then make a decision based on, based on that. Um, and uh, what I would really like is a recommendation from staff on what measures we should use to sort of compare and contrast the historical and recent investments um, and any deficits. If there are deficits, the data should bear that out. Um, 
So in other words, I, want to, I, I really like staff's recommendation on the right way to think about this based on the available data we have. Um, and if we look at the data and it's inconclusive, um, then I don't think it makes sense for us to include an in, this intensifier um, uh, just based on perception and anecdotal evidence. In, in other words, if the data is inconclusive. And I was, I was thinking about, um, you know, I was considering two projects where they're being proposed principally on the basis of pedestrian safety um, uh, and based on actual safety data um, and hopefully of the kind that uh, Councilmember Pascal mentioned. That was a really well-taken comment earlier. Um, but does the one with the slightly, slightly greater potential for increased safety end up just slightly losing out because it's not in the most current recent annexation area for the city of Kirkland. I don't, to me, that doesn't make a ton of sense. So I really want to understand this better. And that's my comment on that one. Thanks. I think that was a not endorsing changing the score for annexed areas. Not until we have okay. more information okay. from staff and a proposal for how we should look at this. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, to Councilmember Pascal. Thank you. So I, some couple comments on the goals and then just kind of some other kind of questions and comments overall. On goal number three, which is related to public transportation, I'm wondering if we should consider that instead of focusing on bus stops, should we just not focus on high frequency corridors, local route corridors, future transit routes, meaning that I don't know that it's about the bus stops. It's more about the type of service along the route that we want to prioritize. You know, so that's access to transit, that's speed and reliability improvements along the arterial. So it's kind of great. It's, it's broader than just the bus stops in general. Um, those are included, obviously, but it's broader. Um, and just to address a comment by Councilmember Black, I don't know that it's getting ridership is just about improvements to the system. I think what we've seen is that we've lost riderships and, and the system, the, the infrastructure hasn't really changed, right? So the cause of ridership loss is more than just the infrastructure, right? It's more its travel behavior, it's, it's demands, it is service, uh, transit service and, and, and rerouting. So there's there's a lot there that we have to unpack, and I hope that the transportation master plan gets into that in much more detail. On goal number five, you talked about leading pedestrian intervals and accessible crossing indicators. I am just assuming that those are uh, standards now that we implement, so I'm not quite sure that is a differentiator, because I think any project that's adjusting a signal or those technologies, should actually implement a leading pedestrian interval and implement accessible crossing. So I'd be curious about a project that didn't do that and why that would be um, something that would be a differentiator. Um, so that would just be something to look at a little bit. Uh, on goal seven with the equity, I'm just more intrigued by that. I'd love to see the mapping tool that we have and how it maps the city and, and then I'd be curious how that compares to the King County Metro priority population map. And if there's differences, well, that's a good um, discussion point to have either with ourselves or with Metro. Um, because I would think that we would want to understand why they wouldn't be consistent or why they are or so forth. 
So that'd be something to, to think about. On the annexation question, I would just, I'm not so much interested in the amount of investments that have occurred over time. I'm more interested in what's the walkability today across the city? And is the annexation area at a much more deficient level than the rest of the city or not? Um, and then I'd want that normalized by density and land use. Um, so there might be some very unwalkable areas, but they might be very low density. So I would just want to see a map of that to, in order to, to determine whether that's something. I, I mean, the context of it is also important. I'd be curious what the Transportation Commission was really getting after. I'm assuming that they're saying that there's an inequity of the annexation area because there's been a lot more invested over time into kind of the former Kirkland and that there's some catch up that needs to happen over um, in the annexation area. That's what I'm assuming. I don't know that that's true, but that would be. I think that was the perception. Okay. Yes. So I think, I think more information is, is worthwhile. Okay. On just kind of overall kind of comments, um, question. How does this priority scheme fit in with the priority of the capital improvement plan? So the capital improvement plan is where actually things get funded. This is more kind of a exercise into what our priority is in the transportation master plan. It doesn't necessarily mean it automatically goes into the capital improvement program for funding. It's considered. So I'm wondering how the two priority schemes mesh together. They would complement each other. Um, the idea is that we, we pull together, we use this prioritization to pull together a 20-year list from this large universe of projects. Um, but once the, you know, once we have that budget discussion about that capital improvement program, particularly the two years, um, that's when more detail gets applied. Um, that's when that, um, you know, the, the you know, projects kind of transition into kind of the prioritization that's used for our capital improvement program. Um, this is really to develop of our kind of what we really feel is in our 20-year list okay. and potentially in our six-year list. It helps us. Um, but once they're in that list, you know, there's, there's the ability to apply. Um, yeah, please, yeah. Um, I, ideally, so it's a great question, and, and I agree with Kim. Um, Ideally, what would happen is we are prioritizing, we're putting a lot of effort into prioritizing this objectively and um, with the intent of helping the city council make decisions on investments in the system. So ideally, if you think about it, earlier we had the inverted triangle, 20-year, uh, 6-year, 2-year budget. Um, you could also think of it in terms of a 20-year timeline, a, a bar, and we have a sliding window that goes across that bar. So you, you prioritize everything over a 20-year period, and you have a 6-year window for the tip and then a 2-year window for the budget. And as you complete projects, you move the, the window across. Um, of course, things change, we know that, um, and we, we will need to revisit this occasionally. Um, but uh, ideally, the hard work we're doing for this prioritization effort will be long-lasting and be something that we can always refer back to and, and tweak if we need to, but it's much easier to tweak than to reprioritize. So there is um, work we need to do with our CIP team, of course, um, but uh, ideally, we're doing the heavy lifting now so that we can um, help make decisions uh, as we implement improvements. So what I heard was that what comes out of this might refine our prior priorities uh, as part of the capital improvement program, which is great. That's kind of what we had hoped um, from this. 
and I'll just leave with a final thought. One of the things that I've appreciated from um, being a part of kind of regional planning exercises on transportation is kind of the thought process into understanding, taking this theoretical abstract kind of exercise of this points for this goal and, and so forth. It's like we can carve this up in so many ways. Well, what does it actually look like at the end of the day? How does it prioritize the projects? I mean, that's what I want to see. And, and, and one way that I've seen that be very successful and helpful is in the work of King County Metro and PSRC. And they've done that. So for King County Metro, they took all the details that they heard from everyone from the priorities and stuff, and they came up with three kind of overarching themes. They said, here's the results if you have a focus on safety, if you elevate that to kind of the highest level and you still score all these other things, this is what you get in terms of the routes that are prioritized, right? And we could equate that to projects in our case. Then they did, oh, this is what happens if you elevate equity. And then this is, that's how it's different from safety. And this is how you then elevate um, productivity, which would be like mobility, you know? How are you moving the most number of people? Um, so you have safety, equity, productivity. PSRC did it something very similar. They did mobility, safety, and I think it was equity as well. And so it'd be nice to have kind of take this all and kind of then go, okay, what does this all mean? And elevate it to these, these kind of themes I think would be really powerful because then you can actually on a map, in exercise, you can see what that looks like illustratively. So that's something that I think would be really cool to see because that brings it all home, right? Um, otherwise, it's just a, this project's rated higher than this and this and that. But when you see it all illustratively, it, it, really, it really helps understand the differences. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, thank you, Kimberly and Doug, for this great presentation. And thank you to our Transportation and Planning Commissioners for a really thoughtful discussion. I really enjoyed reading the memo. Um, really thoughtful. There was, I can tell there was a lot of good intent and a lot of good thought and hard work that went into this. Um, my comments are kind of themed around a couple of ideas. One is really the need to make sure we're forward thinking and not just looking at the current state of things in Kirkland, but we're really looking to the future. And two, that we're looking at things holistically, right? Um, we've already covered, and then going into some of the specifics, we've already covered um, under safety, you know, my comments on parking lots, micromobility, um, and the increased weight of that. So I won't uh, go over that again. Um, the discussion on linking to land use, the neighborhood versus other commercial centers. I get the intent here to really think um, more um, hyper-local, right? And this is one example of where I want us to be more forward thinking. We're currently just thinking of what we have now, what our neighborhood centers are now. As you know, in our comp plan updates, we're working to um, incorporate more corner stores, especially accessory commercial units. So let's look forward to what transportation will look like within like hyper local. And I don't see that included here in the prioritization and what scores that gives. Um, also, um, yeah, I mean, Councilmember Black mentioned, you know, drug stores and grocery stores. Like, those could be a couple blocks away, right? But I may not have a safe way to, to walk or bike or roll there. And so um, let's think through that. 
Um, on the note about connecting, there was one that was given, there was five points to connect to the cross and corridor. Let's think again, forward thinking, think a little bit more broadly. We think of things like the Finhill Green Loop, right? And other uh, trails, let's, you know, change that language to be a little bit broader, connects to, I don't know what the language would be, but to, to trails or transportation trails or lar larger, longer transportation trails, such as the cross and corridor. But I don't want to limit us to that, especially again, being more forward thinking. Um, on the, I, I had the same thought as Councilmember Black on the equity being, again, forward thinking, looking into the future of what we want our city to be and having the flexibility there to not just consider what our city looks like now, but what our goals are and planning for the future. So we don't get ourselves in a position that 10 to 20 years from now, we wish we had thought of these things um, uh, back now. Um, under the tech and innovation, I want to make sure I really understand what the intent here and again what the implications are. I guess going to Councillor Pascal's comment I really appreciate about like how does this actually play out, right? I think of, and also to my comment about looking at things holistically, I think of, um, you know, does this mean that we're prioritizing like super new high tech stuff uh, over simpler, cheaper concepts that will be really important in some places. And I really want to make sure we're getting the most bang for our buck. Again, ties into the accessory commercial units and, and corner stores thing to you that I mentioned. Like if we can have a bunch of uh, pathways that are not, you know, super high tech, super expensive, but get more done so we can connect more folks within the community. To me, looking at that holistically, it might not, those projects might not individually stack up against some of the bigger, higher tech, you know, kind of projects, but holistically looking at spending, you know, how do we spend this million dollars or this $500,000 if we have a whole series of, you know, very low tech solutions, raise curbs, pave shoulders, that kind of stuff, so that people can get around, that's a lot more impactful to our communities and the future that we're envisioning in our comp plan um, than would, you know, one block of super high tech something that we would get for that same million dollars. So I want us to, I, I really appreciate the numbers and prioritize, I, man, I'm tired, being able to prioritize uh, based on the numbers and these scores. However, I want to make sure that we're giving ourselves the flexibility to take the step back after doing an exercise that Councilor Pascal mentioned to really use logic and use our brains in this too and not just uh, what the numbers are and, and how those rank. Um, I think that'll be really important to have conversations, and I know that these, as you mentioned, will come before council and these funding decisions, but I just want to make note of that, that I don't think we should, I think this is a tool, prioritization is a tool to help us guide that conversation, but is not the decision maker in this. I think that's really, really crucial for us to understand that context and be able to look at that um, holistically. Um, again, under the, you know, looking at things holistically and forward thinking under the, um, the transit options, I didn't see a lot of hyper local transit options like shuttles within communities. We've talked about this numerous times. I know multiple of us have. I know Councilor Nixon at a study session months ago brought up how he's been um, talking about this for quite some time. We heard this from our senior council. We talked about it during the pandemic to get folks to parks. Um, you know, we've seen other cities do it well, both, you know, in other states and, and close by here. So really thinking about transit, not just how we've traditionally thought about transit, but how can we have some of those hyper-local solutions within our city as well, and perhaps with some of our neighboring cities, depending on what those models look like. So I wanna make sure we're looking at that. Again, there were some comments around density and looking at projects and prioritizing density um, by some of my colleagues. I think, again, we need to not just think about current density, but what things could look like and how we want to shape things in the future. So let's just be 
thoughtful about that. We all know that there's been mistakes of past leaders from decades ago that we don't have you know, enough transit for the density we have now because they were not forward thinking enough. So let's just um, make sure that we're doing that. And then related to the um, annexation areas, I had similar thoughts to what were shared so far. Um, I, I don't know how fruitful it would be to really look at what investments have already been made. To me, the, what we really need to look at is where's the greatest need currently in our city. Um, and the need is not just based on how many sidewalks or how many bike lanes or it's, you know, it's condition dependent. As we know, some areas, you know, depending on the topography or other conditions are more expensive. Some areas might have greater need because of various, you know, reasons. And so I really think it's a measure of need. And I don't know whether there's more need in the Northern annexation areas than, you know, what was Kirkland 20 years ago. I, I don't know that, but I don't think that really matters because once we're looking at need, need you, it's just a conflating factor really to think of um, whether it's, you know, pre-annexation Kirkland or the newly annexed, newly, you know, decade ago, but new, newer-ish um, annexed area of Kirkland. I think that becomes irrelevant once you're looking at need. Um, and so uh, even if we find that if we were to place a filter over, you know, annexation area having a higher need, we would get to that point anyway by looking at need, right? And so I just don't know that I see the point in adding that layer. And I think it further adds to division in our community. And so although I, I do think we continue to look at need in all of the plans that I've seen us with the Safer Routes to School Action Plan, the Vision Zero, the Active Transportation Plan, all our plans, we're looking at need and we're prioritizing need. Um, and so I don't know how that would change if we just you know, look at it divided into to two areas, we're still gonna fund the projects that have the greatest need. Um, and so that's my thoughts on those. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Kurt, we've only got a few minutes left before we wanna do the PSC thing. I've got three people, four if I wanted to, to do any comments. So we have about a half an hour presentation with PSC. So we, if councils wanna go a little bit into the seven o'clock hour, we could do it, but I think we'd wanna make sure we wrap up our comments. So. Okay, okay, then we'll, let's keep going then. Councilmember Curtis. I will work to be brief. Um, on active transportation, Kimberly, you said there are a couple bonus points for protected bike lanes. Um, can you help me understand, I mean, a couple things, okay, I won't be brief, sorry. Low stress for is different for everyone, right? Low stress for me is completely different for Councilmember Black. So I think that that part we need to define that more clearly what we mean and what our objective is. And to me, the objective, especially with active transportation, is to provide it so that it's easy for people to choose to not get in their car. So protected bike lanes and other things, RFPs, RFBs, are super important, but we're only giving them five points. But you also refer to the active transportation plan. So I'm kind of wondering why those two things are pulled apart, because I assume that protected bike lanes are in the active transportation plan. So why do we have a section that gets a couple extra points? The, the scores for the ATP are um, combined a number of things. Um, one of them does look at um, the stress of the environment, but they're also, many of them are location-based. Um, and so 
this gives kind of an extra um, points for the facility type, um, which is not necessarily included in the active transportation score. Okay, then I'm concerned that we're not giving enough weight to creating a low stress environment okay. for people. And I don't have, so I have a problem, but not a solution <laughs> for that. Um, and my other was on sustainability, and we know that reducing greenhouse gas emissions, one of the best ways to do it is to reduce single occupancy vehicles, but we're not scoring that as high as I think we should. And I would suggest that um, reducing SOVs is more important than protecting environmentally sensitive areas, and I would switch those two numbers. Actually, I would make reducing as a 30. And, 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 and I'm curious, well, it doesn't matter, we don't have the time, how that numbering system came through, but I would again say that reducing vehicle miles is the most important on sustainability. Okay. And while I have the floor very quickly, um, when we get to the policy uh, goals, policy and actions, one suggestion I have to consider is when we did the sustainability master plan, what was super helpful is that we had timeframes on these actions. And the only thing I see on here with an actual time frame is the um, Vision Zero, when you said you're going to collect data annually and then go back to council every two years, and I would suggest you do that annually. So it would be really helpful if we had some time frames on this so that we could anticipate when that happened. Thank you. Deputy Mayor Arnold. Thank you, Madam Mayor. So I have specific comments, and I will follow up an email on others. In T3, public transportation, we need to find a way to prioritize the K-line. Right now, it's a future transit route. Well, it's one that we have money on. It's one that we're counting on through a number of our, our, our plans. Um, we, we need to think about that differently than just a future transit route. Um, under sustainability, um, I'd like to see something that is talking about salmon-killing tire dust. Um, when we have a solution to that, uh, right now, our, our our projects try to not make the problem worse. Um, eventually, we're going to have some piece of a stormwater solution to that, and that score needs to be reflected in sustainability. And then uh, finally, under um, link to land use, I support the flipping of the other centers with the neighborhood centers. I think it supports 10-minute neighborhoods or 10-minute-plus neighborhoods, and it's those are where we're going to have our housing opportunities, and so I think it, it's worth uh, scoring those. On the annexation area prioritization, I would hope that our equity scoring reflects any historical gap there. And if it doesn't, our equity scoring is broken. I'd rather have that than something that's artificial and saying the, um, the uh, annexation area gets scored specifically. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Nixon. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, my observation is, um, my, my gut feel at least, is that this scoring system is going to result in our resources being spread pretty well citywide. And I'm not sure that's the right approach. Um, you know, if we do take our resources and based on the safety project here or there, you know, you will get, you know, a flashing beacon over here and a bike lane over there and a sidewalk segment over here. But if instead the city had a designated targeted area where we intend to build a 10-minute walkable neighborhood there and focus all the resources into that area, then we'd have a much better chance of achieving that. And then you could go move on to the next area and do the same thing someplace else. 
So instead of having the entire city maybe be 5% towards being a 10-minute walkable neighborhood, you can have that one area be 100% towards that. And um, uh, as a resident of the annexation area, and at, having just gone through an, a, a great opportunity to have conversations with people all around the city, um, I hear from a lot of people in the annexation area who are not looking forward to that intense development or redevelopment. That, yes, they want their um, crosswalks to be safe for their kids going to school, uh, those kind of projects. Um, but the idea of, of, of focusing that kind of intensity um, in the annexation area is not real attractive to them yet. Uh, but I think that if, if we pick a good place in the city to do that, direct the investment into an area where we can really achieve the goal of having a 10-minute walkable neighborhood, create that lifestyle so that people who are looking forward to being able to live in that kind of neighborhood have the opportunity, I think we might end up with a better result. You know, we, we create this neighborhood, people can see what it's like, and then we can continue on and do that um, you know, 100%, 100%, 100%, instead of 5% citywide, then 10% citywide, that kind of thing. That, that's my thought, is to, is to focus uh, in doing the intense redevelopment uh, and the intense transportation spending in an individual area to get it as far as we can. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, just very briefly, Kim, you have a lot you have gotten a lot from this council. It reminds me of my grandmother when I was, she was teaching me how to make bread. She keeps saying, don't overneed it. If you overneed it, it's going to be impossible to eat. Um, so um, you have fun with this. Uh, we're looking for the right formula, not a perfect formula. So I think the work is great. I think we're going in the right direction. Take what of this you can. And with that, city manager... Thank you very much. Everybody. Thank you. Thank you all for your thoughtful comments on that. And we will be coming back with this multiple times, so there'll be a chance to follow up. So our next topic is uh, to get a check-in with uh, Puget Energy on a couple things. So we have Matt Larson, local government affairs manager, who's also assembled a team to help brief us. And they're going to cover two main topics. One is uh, the big project that is uh, going along the cross Kirkland corridor to the Juanita substation, and then also uh, storm readiness and sustainability of the grid. So with that, I will turn over to Mr. Larson. Welcome. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I'm glad to be here. Mayor Council, appreciate the opportunity to come and give you an update on these issues. I'll be joined tonight by Ryan Yell, who is a, uh, one of a supervisor in systems planning reliability. Uh, I won't repeat so much of the agenda then tonight since Kurt just went over it, um, but one of the things we do do is one of the highest priorities for PSC is, is safety, 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 given the nature of our work. And so we begin every meeting that we have with a, a, what we call a safety moment, and so I'll, I'll do that the same tonight. Uh, the, so imagine if you were to drive down the street and come upon a, uh, maybe there's been an accident, someone's hit a power pole, or, or it's a recent storm and you see power lines in the street, uh, you're, you don't want to get closer than 35 feet, ask that you call 911 and call that in. If you happen to be the one that maybe got in the accident or, or uh, someone else was by that and you found, find that your car is constrained or covered with what could be live wires, I always assume the wires on the ground are energized. 
do not leave your vehicle if possible. Stay in the vehicle, call 911, and uh, um, you know, wait for help to come. If you see anyone approaching the car or wanting to check it up, you're okay, please roll the window down, yell, don't you know, stay away from the car, you know, helps on the way. If you don't have your phone or you find yourself where suddenly the car starts, you know, catches on fire and you do need to absolutely exit the vehicle, uh, you have to find a way to somehow get to the door, push your feet closer together and jump with your feet together on the ground. Live wires can energize the ground. If you move your legs or feet apart, that can create an arcing and, be, and be, uh, create a serious injury. So you want to jump to the ground with both feet together and then shuffle away uh, from, from the, uh, the car and the wires and get about a 35-foot distance before you're clear. So on that cheery note, we will continue. Uh, we have 26,000 miles of transmission and distribution wire throughout the 10 counties that we serve. And our crews are busy, you know, we just don't wait till storm season rolls around in the fall to start preparing. They're working year round, doing a lot of measures to, uh, to make our system more re uh, robust and resilient. A lot of that involves vegetation clearing on a constant basis, pole replacement for poles that are getting older, rotted. Uh, same for old wires that might be wearing out, need replacement. If there's areas where, uh, vegetate, where we see a high frequency of outages due to branches falling and whatnot, we will consider putting um, tree wire, which is most wires exposed wire, it's not insulated, so tree wire is insulated wire that if branches hit it, it's far more robust and resilient, it won't necessarily trip off a breaker. And, uh, or even consider undergrounding wires in certain communities working with that community. And then uh, one of the things we've recently completed, uh, just as cities have done smart meters on water meters and whatnot all, all over, we just recently completed in the city of Kirkland and through much of our service areas, putting smart meters in. It will allow a, a future modernization of the grid, but also remotely reading the information off of those meters. And I'll get back to that in a, in a little bit in a moment. Uh, also doing target, well, some of the bullets here, targeted reliability projects and, um, and whatnot, or just, I'll, I'll let um, Ryan speak to in more detail later on. In terms of ready, in readiness infrastructure, kind of our human infrastructure too, of 3,100 employees that we have, 900 of those employees uh, have emergency response roles. We have seven regional storm bases, again, distributed throughout those 10 counties, and each of those storm bases has a dedicated 24-7 uh, on-call teams. Uh, we also have a, a major emergency coordination center that's also combined with the, what we call the Eastside System Operations Center, and that, that's pretty much the op, major ops center. Um, it's pretty cool to see uh, that, that handles and you know, gets all the information coming in from the entire system throughout PSE's uh, service area of 1.2 million customers. And actually that ops center is, and emergency center is located uh, just a couple of miles east of here, about exactly right between Redmond and Kirkland, just on the out, uh, edges of Kirkland there. And that, and that also has a dedicated 24-7 on-call team as well as uh, both the storm centers and the emergency center has dedicated communications teams. Now, similar to you, you, one complaint you might often get is, um, gosh, I see the you know, trucks driving around all the time and my power's still out. How come they're not stopping and fixing my power? I would liken it to what you're probably more familiar with is uh, snowstorms. You get a similar complaint with snowstorms. The snow plows are going all over. How come they're not plowing, plowing my street? When are you going to get to it? And very, very similar in cities where you have a, where your public works crew has a, a criteria in terms of um, you know a triage or what 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 is the, there's a method to the madness in terms of what streets you can hit first and why. Uh, the, it's an, uh, important to understand that in our in our grid system. It really boils down to three fundamental components to the to our electrical grid system. One is the transmission system, and that is all the high 115,000 to 230,000 kilovolt systems. It's basically the highways that pass through your communities. It's how power gets to a community 
or to a city. Uh, then you have the substations. They're effectively like the on-ramp off of the freeway. It's where you then step down from the high hundreds of thousands of volts down to about 12,500 volts uh, in substations that have banks. And each bank has a, you know, an average two or three circuits on it. And each of those circuits serves a feeder line, a 12,500 volt feeder line that will go out. And everything on the backside of the substation is distribution. So it, the, the distribution is generally the larger side of the system. The, the distribution is what takes the, all the electric electricity and delivers it through the entire city or community. And uh, that 12,500 volt feeder line, of which there's a few of those, are kind of like your main arterial collector streets. And they, they, they was what goes out to your neighborhoods, your commercial and retail areas. And then uh, they will feed hundreds of lateral lines that will go into all the, the side streets, neighborhoods, cul-de-sacs, and alleyways, and so forth. So that's kind of a good metaphor to put it together, particularly as Ryan starts talking about that distinction between trans, uh, transmission investments or distribution investments. But going back to that metaphor about the snowplow, it's a very similar thing. Just as a snowplow, you're going to start with your major highways or arterials and work your way down to the collector roads, your neighborhood streets, and eventually to alleyways. We do the same thing where we start with the main, uh, looking at any damage, particularly with a large regional storm event, with the uh, transmission system, eventually looking at substations, and then go out into those feeder lines. And then we'll look at critical facilities as well, or what, um, you know, balance that, that sort of criteria with, uh, you know, hospitals and other critical facilities or, you know, grocery stores and things like that to get critical services for a community up online as uh, quick as possible. And then again, move, move down into a more granular way into the community. The, uh, the other complaint you might often hear is, gosh, I see the trucks driving around, but they're not, you know, they just drove right through my neighborhood, but didn't do anything. And just as the first responders in, uh, from your police and fire or even your public works during a big storm event or just following that, they're going to send every vehicle out just to do what's called that initial windshield survey where you're just getting eyes on the ground, doing an assessment around the community of what's the extent of the damage and reporting that back to the emergency ops center uh, so they can start formulating a more, uh, uh, you know, doable action plan. The, uh, the, the next step up in terms of vehicles you'll see that will come into a neighborhood is the equivalent of most of our PSE trucks are going to be the equivalent of an electrical first responder uh, where they can, they can affect most, most repairs or minor repairs, but, if, um, but mostly what they'll do is they'll come out if there's, say, a, you know, telephone poles or, uh, I'm sorry, power lines that have fallen, poles that have fallen across the road, there's wires all over, there's big trees, they're going to initially get in, make sure and de-energize de the line. Make, make it safe, get a crew in there to start clearing the debris off the street and the wires off the street. So then the larger, the, the last one would be the Patelco crew that would come in with the actual line workers to affect the change. The uh, PSC crews are also going to determine and make an inventory of what sort of equipment and inventory is going to be needed. So that's why there might be a bit of coming and going of some of those um, uh, crews initially. If there's one takeaway I would ask all of you to do if you haven't done it, um, as a, this is an indispensable tool for any elected in a PSC service territory, and that is to load the My PSC app on your phone. Uh, as a former mayor, I can assure you that this made my life much easier when there was long-term power outages. Uh, far fewer calls, um, and there's always someone that would grab this information off the, the outage map on My PSC and push it out on Facebook or other places and uh, do some of PSC's job or our job for us. But uh, this is, there's only two ways right now that we can find out if there's a power outage. One is the, uh, so if a substation goes down, the opposite center sees that. But of course, most of the system is on the other side, beyond the substation, behind it with the distribution system. So it really requires that customer to call in that outage or to report it on a MyPSC app or call the 888 call PSC number. The, um, the, one of the powerful things with the smart meters that we've already employed throughout the city is within a 
couple years, we will be able to, those will kind of ping information on a, on a regular basis to the ops center showing that, hey, the meter's working, meter's working. If suddenly those go dark, then we can tell that there's been an outage. So in the future, we will be able to, as the grid gets smarter, be able to uh, automatically see those outages. But for right now, the reporting is the critical one. So encourage you to encourage others or do it yourself to never hesitate to go out, you know, reach out and, and, and report an outage. Uh, we, we do have, um, e even if an outage goes off of the phone or on the map and no longer shows up, your house is still out. Those are called kind of a nested outage where it could be very localized with some damage that we haven't discerned. And so again, encourage people to reach out and report those. On the MyPSE app, if you were, if some of you aren't familiar, when you open it up, I mean, you can get to all your information on your account, but you'll see, the, see this blue bar kind of up in that uh, upper right corner there below the text. It says report an outage. You can do it there. Once the report's made, you'll also get constant updates about the, the, the uh, as that outage progresses, whether it's, you know, telling you that the outage has been reported. Or first thing you can do if a customer goes on to the app is see that, oh, the outage has already been reported. And then you can see if uh, the crews are out assessing the damage or whether a crew has been assigned or if the repair crew is on site already doing the repair. You also inform see information about an estimated time of recovery. Uh, I see quite a bit of this data coming through my desk every day and it's amazing uh, given the history and the metrics of all the history of the like outages of how accurate, even when they don't know, quite know the nature of an outage, the crew, you know, the report will come in and say, hey, there was an outage in such and such neighborhood and uh, we estimate it's gonna be a two and a half hour recovery and usually within about 10 minutes they hit it there even after they do the assessment. So it's, it's pretty good accurate information that helps people plan their day. And you can, you can see if you don't wanna report the outage, there's a, there's a, like right below the city name Bellingham on this example, you'll see notify, notify me about this outage. Go on the PSE app if you're heading off to work but you still wanna know when the power came back on, you can just click on that and then you'll get regular updates on that specific outage. Then um, critical thing for yourselves and for your uh, residents in general is uh, you know make sure that they're prepared in advance for that in terms of doing an emergency and preparedness kits. Uh, look up tips for our, we have an extensive website with information. I'll talk more about that in a second. Backup chargers for phones and so forth, uh, and then you know everything from maybe you, who, who would you call on a long distance number if the local lines are down, where you could make sure to have a family plan where the family would touch base or get together with each other. We have a, on the psc.com forward slash storm website, there is extensive information that not only tells uh, everything that I've talked about in this slide deck and quite a bit more information about what PSC does to sort of prepare for it is on that website in addition to information that can help people prepare for what they would do in storms. I, I think, I think uh, Kirkland Council is one that's considering a ban on, for example, um, gas leaf blowers and one of the... I, I was a big early adopter of all my lawn equipment is all now the Ryobis with the 40 volt batteries. And one of the things that was cool that I found out recently I invested in was a few hundred dollars was to buy a little power station. So during the winter time when my power tools are not being used and those batteries are just sitting around, I load my four batteries on the power station. And when the power goes out, I have uh, three 110 outlets and a bunch of USB outlets where I could power my fridge, my uh, turn my Wi-Fi on, my laptop power my phones uh, for depending on how much load I put on that for you know several to a dozen hours or more. So it's a, a, another way if you want to sort of sell that to your residents on those sort of policies to say you can, you know, there's a lot of advantages you can get from adopting those sorts of things. Uh, the, and then lastly on the, the PSE website too, you'll find information for emergency responders. One of, it, one of that is our, emerge, our energy systems restoration plan in that you're First responders are probably familiar with it. We, we've, we've adopted the National Incident Management System, which 
if some of you have done your basic training on that, is one where there's more coordinated efforts from multiple agencies, state, local, county, uh, you know, private PSC and cities and whatnot to coordinate in terms of how emergencies respond so we can be coordinated with uh, those other first responding agencies. And so with that, I'm going to turn it over to Ryan. There's a couple more slides that I'll, I'll touch on before I pivot to Ryan. And that is, uh, there are three major uh, issues that are really putting increasing demand on the system that are driving that increasing demand and the need to invest in, uh, you know, transmission upgrades, such as what you're seeing in Kirkland right now with the Sammamish Juanita line, the, the main transmission, that's 115,000 volt line, and also Energize East Side, that's a 230,000 uh, volt system. Uh, and that is growth, uh, modernization with technology, and then decarbonization. So on, on growth, I took a, you know, your planning staff is probably going to go, what? Um, but I, I went out and grabbed the OFM data. I know everybody uses the OFM data in cities. And I put in, uh, just looking at the growth for, for Kirkland real quick, you're, you've not been one of the fastest growing communities by any means, but still significant growth and measurable growth. I know prior to 2000, or 2000, or 2011, you did that significant um, annexation of, I think, the Juanita area. And so what I did is I grabbed that population and added it to the existing population going back to do an apple-apples comparison to pre- and post-annexation. So looking at that, you were about 72, 74, 3,000 uh, back in 2003, and so that's grown to, the, you know, you're about 96,000. So it's a, about a 30, uh, close to 35% growth in that 20-year period uh, for Kirkland. So the, and, and that's not the most significant growth that's been, been experienced around the region. And so you can imagine just keeping up with that growth as our transmission or distribution systems kept up with and been able to keep up with that growth. And then hand in hand with that too, again, is the modernization of technology. If you compare the house to the 1980s when we were all excited when we had Pong, it was our, you know, our computer at that time in my high school days. It's come a long way. Our houses are filled now with more electronic devices and now particularly the big game changers, uh, electric vehicles and uh, all sorts of appliances, computers, and so forth that are putting greater demand on that system. And then the, uh, the lastly is the decarbonization now, particularly that our state mandates with the Clean Energy Transformation Act is moving from like a furnace to an, a heat pump is going to be a significant shift from one energy source and putting more onto the electrical grid. So for all those reasons, uh, I think Kirkland's being well served by having investments like the Sammamish Juanita line. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Ryan Yell, and, uh, and uh, thank you. Uh, well, I was going to say, it, 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 happy to answer any questions, but I think what Ryan has to say is going to be far more interesting and compelling. It's going to be more proprietary information, so sorry if I seem like I kind of slammed through mine really quickly. Happy to answer questions, but if you could write those down, and we'll just save them to the end, unless there's some confusion or clarifying questions at this time. Okay, great. Ryan? Hey, good evening. Um, yeah, Matt went fast, and I'm going to go fast. So I think what Matt said, if we save questions, that would work well. So um, I need somebody to... Go to the next slide. I think we have a set up here, Ryan. So if you just say next slide and I'll, I'll... Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, so here's an overview of the um, Sammamish Juanita 115 KV transmission line uh, transmission project. Um, so it basically it's adding five miles of newer upgraded transmission line. There are a little bit of upgrades and, and more of it's new, um, as well as upgrading aging substation equipment at the Sammamish and Totem Lake substations, which part of my slides later shows where those are if you're not familiar. Um, this will redistribute the electric load across the substations. And then it'll also loop the Totem substation, which gives the addition, with the addition of a new transmission line, 
Um, so that's like our preferred way of feeding a sub is two directions. So if one goes out, then you have that redundancy of the other line. There are a few substations with the radial taps. Um, they are just less reliable because they have less sources of power. Um, and then by adding this transmission pathway to the electric system that serves Redmond and Kirkland, known as the Moreland system, we will ensure we can continue to supply our customers with dependable power for years to come. And then Matt, if you could go to the next slide, we can look at a map of the project. So this is, if you're not familiar, again, these are the three substations I referenced, the Juanita sub, uh, Totem sub, and Sammamish sub. Um, it's not distinguished on here, but like that north-south section over by Juanita is new. And then, oh, shoot, some closer to the substation is is new. And then, or excuse me, upgraded. I have that backwards. And then the rest is new. Next slide. So go ahead, Matt, to the next slide. Thanks. Um, so then this is, these are pictures of the new poles. Um, construction's ongoing. Then, then we anticipate to be complete with the project by Christmas of this year. So getting getting there. This is, just to clarify, this is a capacity-driven project, kind of what Matt's talking about with the electrification of appliances, um, cars, and then on top of the load growth that we've historically seen. Um, and I'll add this on the slides. I was talking to one of our transmission planners earlier today about this project. Uh, technology that will be added to this line is called TLAS, which is our transmission line automatic switching. So if there's a fault, like a tree hits the line, um, uh, using like a smart grid or like a automation and, and logic, the system will know where the fault is and then it can switch around it without um, human intervention. So it's relative, it's very quick. All right, now on to the electric distribution system reliability review. This is the group I supervise. So I'm the supervisor of reliability planning. Uh, we have four planners, uh, four engineers, and the engineer that covers your guys' area, his name's Fremont. He is on PTO this week, so I get to cover this for him. Um, so basically this is kind of like our guiding principles, safe as we've talked about a lot, uh, reliable and resilient kind of go hand in hand. Uh, reliable is like, let's not go down in the first place. Resilient is the ability to bounce back. Smart and flexible, so we're getting there with different technologies, which I'll go over in a little bit, and then clean, which is what everybody's driving towards. Okay, so then these are the metrics that we report to our commission, the Washington UTC. Um, these are defined, if you look up like IEEE 1366, all util uh, most utilities use this. Some have um, variations. We don't vary from it at all. But anyway, so SADI is the System Average and Eruption Duration Index. All this is doing is measuring the duration the average customer is out in a given area. So one way we can measure this is over all of PSC customers, which is about 1.2 million meters. Another way we can do it is by circuit, um, which varies anywhere from one to a couple thousand customers, or we can do it by city. So for the city of Kirkland, there's about 52,000 meters. So we can over a broad area, kind of look at like, what does the average customer experience for an outage in a given period of time? Uh, the other one is safety, uh, very similar, it's just frequency. So how many outages would it, would the average customer in that geographic area see over a given period of time? Um, for safety, the goal that we have established or agreed to with the UTC is 155 minutes per year uh, for safety. And what, what that means is like the average PSE customer if we're hitting our target, we'd see less than 155 minutes or what is that? Like two and a half hours of outages 
a year uh, for safety it's 1.3 so ideally the average customer is seeing less than 1.3 outages per year okay Matt. okay this is just as like just kind of sets the um gives a geographic overview of the area we're talking about everybody's familiar everybody in here is familiar with kirkland i would assume uh, these are our substation locations. The red ones are the substations included in the study that were uh, the the numbers that we're going to look at coming up. Um, the the red is the name, so like Inglewood, and then the three letter code next to that, which ing is what we call substation is how we refer to the substation. So every substation has a three letter code. Every circuit is two numbers. So there's a circuit called like ing fifteen, ing thirteen. I think that that will help provide context. Uh, throughout the rest of this, as we talk about projects on different circuits, um, I'm still working on getting the three-letter codes and the names memorized, so no test at the end. <clears throat> yeah, and then the numbers, so yeah, there's 13 substations. Um, Medina feeds into this area and it's not showing, and then Clyde Hill isn't showing. Uh, it's the two part of the south. 41 circuits in the in Kirkland, or on these 41 circuits, there's 158 miles of overhead conductor and 392 miles of underground conductor. So your system is much more um, underground, like as a percentage of the system than the rest of our territory, which makes sense. Outlying areas are more overhead, uh, more urban and dense areas are more underground typically. Okay. Okay. So this is the five-year performance history for Kirkland versus PSC. And there's, we'll stay here for a sec. The next slide will show this in a graph for the more visually oriented people, but basically, sure, we'll just go to it. Um, what this is showing is that in like 2018, Kirkland had a, a SADI of 116, meaning the average Kirkland resident saw 116 minutes of power outage uh, in the year 2018. Um, likewise, in 2018, um, that blue bar is 145. So the average PSE customer saw 145 minutes of outage um, in, in 2018 both meet our target of 155 minutes, which is that red line. So that is, the, you know, so using that logic over the course of those five years, you can see that um, as a company, we did not meet our goals in 2020, 21, and 22. Um, and Kirk, but Kirkland did, except for in 2021. And then in every year, Kirkland had better system performance as measured by customer outage duration or SADI um, than PSE. And then um, this is safety, so same thing, but for frequency. So just looking at 2018 again, because it's the one on the left, uh, the average Kirkland customer saw 0 0.93 outages. So the average, yeah, the average customer had less than one outage. Um, the average PSC customer in 2018 had 0 0.99 outages. So the average customer, that's where that's above one. Um, anyway, the average customer saw about one outage. Um, Anyway, and every year we've met this metric except for 2021. And I should have made this note before, but it's worth noting that these exclude what we call a storm day uh, or a major event day, MED. Um, using the IEEE 1366 standard, we are we exclude days that that are um, like 2.5 standard deviations outside the more outside like a, a normal day. And what that means is like big windstorm days, ice storm days widespread damage, stuff you see on the, like when you see the event on the news, the weather event on the news, like we're probably excluding that day. Um, and that's industry standard that kind of gets rid of the outlier events. And from a customer's perspective, the downside is like, I don't care, I had a power outage. Um, it allows us to have kind of like a normalized way to report to the UTC. 
but anyway, the, yeah, so these charts are, ex those previous charts were excluding the, the major event days. Um, this chart is showing um, SEBI, so the duration, um, and, and the non-med is in green. So those are the numbers we just looked at. And then the all in, which is all the days. So we don't exclude anything, big wind storms, big ice storms, whatever, they're included here. And so we can see that that when you look at the PSE one, it's all over the place. Like um, 2020, it was 249 plus 165. And then when you look at 2021, which was a much worse year for us, we had the average customer saw uh, 849 minutes of outage, 642 plus 207. So that's, that's a lot. Um, but that was just a bad year all around for us. Um, so anyway, but I think what's pointing, worth pointing out here for the audience is that um, ex with the exception of 2022, Kirkland, again, was better than the than our system um, for the duration. So shorter, shorter bars is good. Okay, uh, then safety, same thing. So this is, um, and sorry, that's really small, but the non-storm days in that light blue color and then the, the all-in in the orange. And then this, you know, when you add those two numbers together, that was our system performance for um, that year. So again, like looking at frequency, Kirkland is lower than the rest of PSC uh, for every year, for every time period, which is each year. So another way we look at our data is like say, oh, okay, well, what caused it? And um, Matt, you can click, I, I click once, yeah, there you go. Um, so just like the top row and accent, um, actually I'm gonna go to bird animal because that's more easy to explain, but like bird animal, so like a squirrel getting into an overhead power line um, as his last act, causing a fault on uh, some device opens, whether it's a circuit breaker or a fuse. Um, so that counts, you know, there's 36 of those last year in the city of Kirkland, um, which led to 583 minutes of outage. So if like one customer's out for one minute, that's one. If 60 customers are out for one minute, that's 60 minutes. So you just multiply the customers times the minutes. Uh, the ones I highlighted or circled are the equipment failure and the tree vegetation, just because those are the biggest contributors to your outage minutes. Um, outage minutes is in the city calculation. And so like for us as a company, that's the one we look at the most. That's like when customers are out of power and that's also the metric we have the hardest time missing. Um, so equipment failure. So going back to like one of those first slides, if you think about your systems, mostly underground. And so that was why equipment failure would be larger than tree vegetation. Typically on an average PSE circuit, tree vegetation's higher than equipment failure. Trees are our number one enemy followed by equipment failure. Um, but because you guys are most are more underground than overhead, then you're going to be more susceptible to like rodents in a switch can or a transformer, a pad mounted transformer. Uh, cable failure is a really big one, especially like in maybe older parts of the city. As our cables hit about the 40 year old mark, we start to see a, a really big uptick in failures. And then once they fail, and then those are also typically not in conduit, the direct buried. So once they fail, uh, our means of fixing that is to put a splice in, but then once they fail once, they, you tend to see like repeated failure. So we have to go in, dig up the road, put in a conduit, pull in a new cable. Um, and then TV, obviously. So this is like limbs hitting the line, trees taking out a, a span or two are the, the TV outages. But yeah, those are, those are the, big, the big ones. Um, car poles are also up there. Those are obviously, those are bad for obvious reasons. Um, you'll also notice SO, scheduled outages. So even though a customer may request an outage, we still count it in our metrics of, of um, a customer experiencing an outage. So a customer could call up, say, hey, disconnect me. I got to do work on my panel or inside my building. And that that is counting as a customer outage minute for us. Um, same with construction. We could do system work. 
will notify the neighborhood that there's going to be a planned power outage because we have to replace a pole or something. Um, and even though they know and can plan, we still count that as like against against our SQI for, for the UTC reporting. Okay. Uh, another way we look at it, yeah, thanks, Matt, is um, by what device opened. I We have a much longer list. I shortened it so it fit on this slide. Um, I circled the big ones again. So overhead conductor, this would be like a tree or branch taking out a line and like the wire, the overhead wire gets damaged and has to be replaced or repaired. Um, and then the other one, UPC, underground primary cable, is what I mentioned before. So these would be any, a cable uh, coming out of the substation, cable going down your neighborhood street, cable going to your to the transformer in front of your house. Any of those cables, if they get damaged or fail, then that's counted here. So those are the big ones. And then ACE is a weird one that's customer requested um, disconnects. That's strangely high, but I'm not too worried about that one. Um, but it's the overhead conductor, overhead fuse, and UPC are the big kind of contributors to this. Okay. All right. So now going on to how do we fix the problem or what do we do to address the problem? These are different types of reliability projects or solutions. So DA Flizzer, uh, which is automatic uh, distribution automation, fault location, isolation, and service restoration. This involves putting smart devices on, smart devices called reclosers on poles um, kind of spread throughout the system. And what they do is it segments the line. And so they have the ability to know if the fault, if the damage happened upstream or downstream of them. And then once the two, there could be like five. And once the two on either side of that, where the tree fell, for instance, go, yep, it was upstream of me, downstream of me, they can open. And, um, and then anything downstream away from the sub from that will be fed from a different direction because a device that's normally open will then close. So this is like some people call it like self-healing grid. And the idea is that you can take your damage that would normally affect maybe 2,000 customers and cut it down to like 500 or less. And so we've been installing this very aggressively throughout our whole system because it's a pretty cost-effective way of cutting down the outage minutes. Uh, substation SCADA is just um, circuit breakers, upgrading them to smart circuit breakers so they can be um, controlled remotely from our east side operations building. Um, if something happens, they can be closed in without a guy, a person having to be there. Uh, a few savers are similar to reclosers. They'll, if a branch hits a line, they'll open. And if it's permanent damage, then they'll stay open. And if it's temporary damage, like the branch falls through or the squirrel fries himself and falls off, the, the fuse saver will close back in. The customers downstream will see it out for like a minute or two. And then no truck rolls needed. Everybody's back in. Uh, we get an alert and go go take a look, make sure everything's okay. Uh, CRP, cable remediation program, is uh, replacing H cables. Like I mentioned, those H cables are a big culprit of outages. And we have a program, so we're spending X number of millions of dollars a year just going throughout our system, looking for cables that failed once and replacing them, trying to get ahead of any repeated failures. And then tree wire and underground conversions are the big ones. These are the reconductor projects. So tree wire is what Matt talked to. It's a coated conductor. So if a, a limb can lay across two phases, and it won't necessarily cause a fault with the hope that then it gets either knocked off by a serviceman or it falls off by itself. Underground conversions are self-explanatory, taking overhead lines and burying them. That's the... The kind of like gold-plated solution it's also incredibly expensive and so you can't do as much of it as you can on these other solutions okay hopefully i'm going fast enough okay so kirkland so these are some of the projects we've completed in the last two years um so we've done substation reliability upgrades at clyde hill south kirkland and wayne substations these are like upgrading or replacing aging infrastructure within the transformer such as transformers uh switches insulators circuit breakers relays um 
yeah, go into smart relays. So that allows us to get better information on faults. So we can get like the fault current, which then allows us to estimate on the line where it happened. So we can come back through and if we're like, okay, there's repeated problems here and it's X miles from the sub, then we can like maybe do a project there with that information. Uh, we installed a new recloser on Bridal Trails 22, uh, underground replacement on Norway Hill 15, and then um, TLAS, well, Clyde Hill and and Hooten substation. So we're, the TLAS is being installed pretty aggressively too, because transmission, when that goes out, is like, you can have like 10,000 customers. It can be a pretty big deal. It's pretty infrequent, but it can be a lot of customers. And then another program that we have is vegetation management. So this is tree trimming. Um, last In the last two years, we trimmed 27 circuits in Kirkland, totaling 86 miles. So 7,300 trees were trimmed. Surprisingly, only two were removed. Uh, but again, that's like a big O&M cost for us. So we're just continuously going around. Uh, your guys' circuits are mostly four-year circuits. So every circuit gets tree trimming uh, every four years. Okay. All right. Upcoming, these are planned projects. So these should these are anticipated to be completed by 2026. They're in anywhere from like just recently funded to engineering to construction. Uh, so a few savers, that's that smart device. It's usually on a lateral, so like into your neighborhood. Um, plans to install, I don't know, 13 plus three, so it's 21 of those in the next three years on 12 different circuits. Um, six reclosers on three different circuits next uh, 2025, and then another three in 2026. Uh, two DA schemes, so these are these are my favorite solution because they're pretty cost-effective, have a lot of benefit on Inglewood 16 and 17, and then another one on 25. Um, then we have five free conductor, uh, conductor replacement projects. So we have like an underground conversion, a copper replacement is another one. So copper is like a really old conductor. It's brittle, uh, has a tendency to fail. And so we have a program to go through our system and, and replace copper with um, like just a number, like a normal steel conductor. Um, and then tree wire on Norway Hill 15. Uh, substation updates at, at the substations listed. And then another un 11 underground CRP project, projects totaling almost 27,000 feet. Good. Cool. And then this is just getting back to, um, or this is like kind of a generic slide, but like AMI is something we've rolled out. We're almost complete. I think we're the last, we have a few remaining meters within the system, uh, the hard to access meters, but like Kirkland has it. Uh, it's pretty cool. We can go in and look at near real time voltage. It's every 15 minutes and see like where voltage is. I can go in and look at a customer, a customer complains, say they had an outage yesterday. I go like, and go like, actually you didn't, but you did have one three days ago because the voltage goes to zero. Um, yeah, so that has a lot of cool applications. And then ADMS, so that graphic on the left does a pretty good job. Like everything's going to feed into it. So SCADA, supervisor control, data acquisition, or outage management, DERMS, which is distributed energy resource management, and then the DSM apps will feed into the system. So like our DA right now uses a um, program called YFA, and it's in the cloud, but it kind of is like the standalone thing, and you can only have so many circuits on it. But with ADMS, like all the DA schemes will be tied together. So like everything just becomes this giant, giant network, uh, smart network in the cloud. So I know that was really fast. Um, I was trying to get through. I kind of trying to be a little bit aware of time and then leave time for your questions and answers. So hey, council hopefully questions. you got a decent percentage of that. Thank you, Ryan. Looks like we are ready to take a break. So with that, thank right. you very for, much, Matt. For Mayor, I'll just mention that we, we have been in conversations with one of the senior planners, Steve Barnes, too. I know there's a lot of questions the council has about some more of the grid modernization and other technologies and how, how you know how how are we anticipating handling a lot of the, the this increased demand, particularly in the distribution system? So you can anticipate we'll probably be gearing up for another presentation early next year sometime on 
on those other topics. Great. Look but forward to thank it. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you With very that, much. We will adjourn until 730 when we come back for the rest of our regular meeting. Thank you, Ryan. Mm -hmm. We are back in session following a study session for updates on the Kirkland Transportation Plan and storm readiness and system resilience discussion. We are at, at item number four in our um, agenda, honors and proclamations. We're going to have two proclamations. The first one is a Transgender Day of Remembrance proclamation, and Deputy Mayor Arnold will help me with that. City Manager. Okay. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, so while you're walking down, this is uh, proclaiming November 20th, 2023 as the Transgender Day of Remembrance in Kirkland, Washington. Uh, for all the reasons that are included in the proclamation, I just want to note that there are some links and resources uh, in the memo included in the packet. And here to receive the proclamation is Harper Wakeman, who is a teacher and Gender Sexuality Alliance advisor. Welcome. A proclamation of the city of Kirkland proclaiming November 20th. 2023 as Transgender Day of Remembrance in Kirkland, Washington. Whereas in 1999, Gwendolyn Ann Smith, a transgender activist, founded Transgender Day of Remembrance to honor Rita Hester, a transgender African-American woman who was murdered in 1998. And whereas designated on November 20th of each year, Transgender Day of Remembrance honors the memory of the transgendered people whose lives were lost to senseless violence, transphobia, self-harm, and structural inequities. And whereas the Human Rights Campaign national numbers revealed that 2021, there had been the highest number of transgender or gender nonconforming people that were fatally shot or killed by violent beings with 59 fatalities reported. And whereas in 2022, 41 transgender and gender nonconforming people were fatally shot or killed by other violent means. And whereas it is known that there are many other violent crimes that happen that are unreported or misreported. And whereas it is critical that an intersectional perspective and acknowledgement of systemic racism, classism, sexism, and homophobia is needed to effectively address the needs and concerns of transgender individuals and other gender nonconforming people. And whereas LGBTQIA organizations, community members, and allies help raise awareness on the importance of inclusions, protections, and respect for those who are transgender. And whereas African-American and Latina, Latinx transgender women as well as other transgender people of color disproportionately make up the majority of those murdered, attacked, and denied equal treatment throughout our country. And whereas those lost this year and in years prior deserve to be honored and remembered, their lives mattered and they will be forever missed by their friends, family, partners, and community. And whereas individuals who identify as transgender should be acknowledged 
accepted and validated, and whereas our city is proud of and strengthened by the rich diversity of Kirkland community members of all identities and will continue to advocate and promote inclusion. Now, therefore, Mayor Penny Sweet, Mayor of Kirkland, on behalf of the City Council, does hereby proclaim November 20th, 2023, as Transgender Day of Remembrance in Kirkland, Washington. And we invite our community to help raise awareness of the lived experience of transgender people everywhere to help foster a more inclusive and equitable community. Thank you very much. Um, I want to thank Mayor Sweet and the Kirkland City Council for this um, important show of support for transgender people living and working in Kirkland. It's a very welcome and important um, action, especially as we are facing increasing um, reactionary backlash. The proclamation rightly notes the transgender people, primarily people of color, are facing violence, discrimination, and houselessness. I do want to urge us to recognize that that's not an intractable problem. The medical and psychological care, homes, and other resources needed to end that suffering are abundant in our community. And I hold out faith that we will honor this uh, proclamation with action. Okay, and now Councilmember Kelly Curtis will join me and we will do the Native American Heritage Day Proclamation. City Manager. Okay, thank you, Mayor. Um, once again, I would note there's uh, links and much more information um, on this proclamation included in the memo, and we encourage everyone to go look at that. Uh, we're also uh, uh, have the honor of having Snoqualmie Tribe Member Councilmember Jolene Williams here to help accept the proclamation. So welcome, Councilmember. Proclaiming November 24, 2023 as Native American Heritage Day in Kirkland, Washington. Whereas the city acknowledges that the Southern Salish Sea region lies on the unceded and ancestral land of the Coast Salish peoples, the Duwamish, Muckleshoot, Puyallup, Skykomish, Snoqualmie, Snohomish, Suquamish, and Tulalip tribes, and the other tribes of the Puget Sound people and that present-day city of Kirkland is in the traditional heartland of the lake people and the river people. We honor with gratitude the land itself, the first people who have reserved treaty rights and continue to live here since time immemorial, and their ancestral heritage. And whereas in the early 1900s, Dr. Arthur C. Parker, a Seneca Indian, who was the director of the Museum of the Arts and Science in Rochester, New York, asked for the first Americans Day to be set aside by the Boy Scouts of America, and they did for three years. And whereas in 1915, the annual Congress of the American Indian Association directed their president, Reverend Sherman Coolidge, and our Arapaho, right, Indian minister to call to the country and observe this day. And whereas Red Fox James, a Blackfeet Indian, rode on horseback from state to state seeking support to observe 
a day to honor American Indian people and ended his trip delivering 24 state endorsements to the White House in December 14, 1915. And whereas starting in 1986 with President George W. Bush and to our current President Joe Biden, all U.S. presidents have observed and proclaimed November as Native American Heritage Month. And, oops, upside down. Whereas the city values the many contributions made to our community through the knowledge, labor, technology, science, philosophy, arts, and the deep cultural contribution from the first people of this region that have substantially shaped the character of Kirkland. And whereas the city has developed a hyper-local Kirkland Native History document and formal land acknowledgement in collaboration with the Duwamish, Muckleshoot, Snoqualmish, and Suquamish tribes for reference by the Kirkland community in which was approved by the city council. And whereas the state of Washington has designated Friday immediately following the fourth Thursday in November as Native American Heritage Day. And whereas Kirkland joined other cities and governments across the nation in celebrating Native American Heritage Day, honoring the unique heritage of our region's first people and reaffirming a commitment to respect each tribe's sovereignty and cultural identity. Now, therefore, Penny Sweet, Mayor of Kirkland, on behalf of the City Council, does hereby proclaim November 24, 2023, as Native American Heritage Day in Kirkland, Washington, and encourages all community members to observe this day to honor and celebrate the thriving cultures and unique heritage of the first people of our region. We are Togwalabu Daishad, Slaxolitsa, Togwalabu Daishad, Jolene Williams, Sitsta, Toashad, Stokolpu. Hello, honorable ones. My Indian name is Slaxolitsa, which means woman who remembers. This name was given to me by my family in June of 2023. And my American English name is Jolene Williams, and I am from the Snoqualmie people. Thank you for creating this space and doing this proclamation, recognizing the Snoqualmie Indian tribe and other supporting tribes in the region, especially during the Native American Heritage Month. It excites me to see local leaders and their citizens wanting to hear our stories and how we have experienced how we have experienced America's transformation since the settlers arrived in 1492. As we move to acknowledge the first peoples of this area, let us not forget our own why. The why of why are you here? And what is your family legacy? This time and season and this month is a time to reflect on all the work that my ancestors did for me to be here. They sacrificed a lot, and after a good fight, some left their homesteads, their land, and resources for each of us to benefit from, and we can all call it home. As you gather with family and friends, as you go about your day on Friday, November 24th, 2023, take a few minutes and think about your family 
and your why. Or figure out your family tree and share it within your family. It is important to know who your lineage is. It is important to know this because it's part of your identity. It will help you connect to those who went before you on this earth. As some of you may know or not know, Indian people are the only people that have to prove who they are to be recognized as a people. We hold 2% of the population in the United States. With that, I am the fifth generation in leadership in my family. And as I have grown up, I have learned that this, I have learned this by listening and hearing stories of my history and of the tribe. I hope you experience the same on November 24th as you recognize that day as Native American Heritage Day, as you experience moments with your family, understanding your why, and learning your lineage. Thank you for the proclamation for reserving the day as such, as I appreciate it very much, and I pray you will have a memorable day as such as I will. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you all for coming. Okay, this takes us to item number five, communications. This is the time in our meeting when we normally hear from the public on matters which are not quasi-judicial or scheduled for a public hearing. We do have two public hearings this evening. They are item 7A, multifamily tax exemption MFTE target areas amendment, and item 7B, the 2023-2028 transportation improvement program. On other issues, please limit your remarks to three minutes, and the council will receive up to three comments each on both sides of each issue. If you are present either in person or virtually and would like to address the council during this items from the audience period, please sign up using the online public comment instruction link or in person using the posted QR code. For those participating by phone, please dial star nine to be recognized to speak. Community members will be called in the order in which they signed up. Items from the audience is an important part of our business meeting and we ask that everyone be treated with kindness and respect. We ask that you please not clap or applaud after a speaker or express your disagreement with a speaker. We want everyone in Kirkland to feel welcome expressing their viewpoints regardless of content. Because they can be disruptive, signs and placards are not allowed in council chambers during our meetings regardless of their content. City Clerk, please call the roll. We have one person signed up, Alex Zimmerman. Welcome, Mr. Zimmerman. No competition is good. <laughs> Sie heil, my dirty damn Nazi fascist and anti-Semite. My name is Alex Zimmerman. I'm president of Stand Up America. What is happening right now in Bellevue, because I'm involved in um, election, yeah, candidate for election 23, 
situation absolutely critical right now. And I want to speak about something, what is I think, like expert, you know what is mean. Well, we have right now a junta. This junta cannot be legal, you know what is mean. Why? Because 135,000 people or 90 percent not support them. Who they support? A democratic basic, you know what is mean? Approximately 10 percent, same percent what is have before German Nazi in Soviet communist. Yeah. The Nazi control Germany, the communist control Soviet Union for a long time. Similar situation we have right now here too. But they more dangerous than Nazi or communists, and I explained to you why. Nazi, their German Nazi, for example, and Soviet communists care about country and care about their people. But Bellevue Council care about Iranian Muslim and Hamas butcher, you know what it means? So they are, are American enemy. This total foundation different from German Nazi, for example, in Soviet communists. You understand me? They hate America. When you support as enemy, you are criminal. You're supposed to be in jail or execute. They support this openly in no reaction. Why? Because everything what is we have right now in King Country and State, Washington, is controlled by democratic mafia. I see this. I live here 35 years, and I talk about this many times, thousand, four thousand times when you want this. So when I go in Bellevue Council and talking about this, they stop me, include, take policemen and take me out. They cannot listen ever. So how they can qualify like American when they don't have constitutional right, freedom of speech? And everything what is I talking, you know what I mean, is a fact. You can go and find this everywhere. No need to be absolutely stupid for don't understand this. Guys, what is I speak right now to you? Because it's right now probably, probably, maybe we will little bit change to different direction like America have before. I remember America 35 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago. But for the last 20 years, democratic mafia bring pure fascism. And they cut everybody who have different opinion. So they are a junta. They are a bandito. They are a criminal. Is this exactly what is everybody need to understand right now? We need stopping them, like stopping German Nazi in Soviet communists. Thank you very much. Is there anyone else who wishes to address the council at this time? Seeing none, I will call this items from the audience period ended. This takes us to item number six, special presentations. The 2023 Fall Employee Service Award Recognition. City Manager. Okay, thank you, Mayor. So twice a year, we recognize employees who've been with us for 20 years or longer. Um, and here to walk us through that award ceremony and hand out the awards is our uh, Human Services Manager, our Director, uh, Chuck Deaver. Thank you very much, City Manager. Uh, good evening, Mayor Sweet and members of the City Council. Uh, as uh, City Manager, City Manager Triplett explained, the city recognizes on a semi-annual basis employees reaching benchmark service years, beginning at 20 years and above. Um, so I will be uh, presenting to three individuals tonight. So I will kindly ask that Mayor Sweet come down here um, and assist me in handing the certificates and the awards out. Um, I will also ask members of the council 
to um, gather just in front of the logo here um, as we have a photographer here as well to take some pictures. Um, so we will start with 20 years of service. We have two individuals here um, who will be recognized as uh, 2023 Fall Employee Service Award recipients. So first I'd like to invite Randy Crocker from our police department. She's the traffic sergeant to come up to celebrate 20 years of service. Oh, hold on one second. I think he's standing outside. Yes, we do have another photographer. <laughs> Just one moment. I think they're grabbing him right now. Thank you, David. I think we lost our, our official professional photographer in the audience. Um, just one moment, my apologies. <laughs> we might be able to take another picture in a little bit. Um, so second, I'd like to recognize our very own Michael Olson, our finance and administration director. <laughs> Thank you very much. Congratulations. Congratulations, Michael. So, uh, other individuals who received this recognition of for this fall, we have Michelle Pierce, um, Judicial Specialist Lead from Municipal Court, Daniel Rogers from the Public Works Department, he's a Traffic Signal Tech 3, Jeffrey Childs from the Fire Department, he's a firefighter, Ryan Rydell, fire, uh, currently a fire captain. We also have Brent Anderson, who is a fire lieutenant. So um, thank you for your 20 years of service. Um, and actually, since we have our photographer here, if I would, if you wouldn't mind, um, Michael and Randy coming up again for just one more professional photo. <laughs> thank you for your patience. Well, we'll go ahead and have uh, Randy come up first. <laughs> <laughs> this way. Perfect. Three, two. Perfect. Thank you very much. And Michael. Thank you. Three, two. Can you scoot this way a little bit? Three, two. Perfect. All right. Thank you very much. All right, so we have one more uh, acknowledgement, one more recognition for tonight. Uh, Ginger Lewisburg has completed 25 years of service. She's a parking enforcement officer with the police department.
Thank you very much. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Council Members. Uh, we also want to recognize uh, two additional individuals who completed 25 years of service. We have Ivan Hold, for, uh, Fire Captain with the Fire Department, and Sean McDougall, Firefighter with the Fire Department. So thank you, everyone. Thank you, Chuck. Yeah, me too, especially when I know more. <laughs> Okay, uh, item B on this agenda item is the Washington State Survey and Rating Bureau Rating Update. City Manager. Uh, thank you, Mayor. So this is, uh, I get a presentation from our Fire Chief, Joe Sanford. This is actually an exciting moment we've been working to for almost 12 years uh, through various strategic plans and uh, ballot measures. And so I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to our Chief, Joe Sanford. Thank you, City Manager. And... Um, Thank you, Council, for allowing this time. I'm going to uh, share my screen for a very short presentation of this exciting update. Let's see. Did that jump? There we go. Did that jump to the full screen? Not yet. There you go. Okay. So, uh, Madam Mayor, Deputy Mayor, and City Council, um, good news on our uh, Washington State Survey and Rating Bureau updates, and that is that we have improved from a Class 4, which we have held for quite some time, to a protection Class 3. So, this will in improve residential and commercial um, insurance rates for um should everybody in Kirkland, and it takes effect on February 1st of next year. And as you know, we, um, the WSRB rates four evaluation areas, water supply, fire department, communication, and essentially fire uh, prevention. And during this round, our score was 2.91, which gave us the the three that we've been uh, working towards for the past uh, 10 to 12 years. Um, protection class uh, throughout the state, um, there are only 16 class two and Seattle was the first uh, in our state to attain a one and they did that last year. Um, some of our neighbors that are class two um, Bellevue, Shoreline, um, South King, which is Federal Way, and Renton Regional Fire Authority. Um, those are the King County Fire Departments that are Class 2. And um, some of Class 3, um, Tacoma, Everett, Kent, um, those um, join us in a Class 3 category. Um, some of the areas that are listed for improvement. You can uh, find those in the full report. Here's a couple of the pages from that report. And so our focus areas for improvement for our next five years um, it, it are in the area of training and uh, fire prevention. So the fire prevention um, 
there were some uh, code inspections that we can improve on. Um, public education was an area that we have some room for growth. And in the uh, fire department piece, uh, the training, we can do some improvements there. A lot of the training had to do with, we were evaluated at a time when we just hired um, we've hired about 50 new firefighters in the last three years. So um, that was part of our, it's a good problem to have. So, uh, but in the next five years, that'll really uh, pay off for us. Some of the areas that are already underway in improvement is the uh, live air training. And that can be accomplished in the city of Kirkland with the prop that will go in behind station 24. Another area that we can improve in is uh, Firefighter 1 and Firefighter 2 certifications. So for the last 12 to 15 years-ish, we've required both those certifications as uh, firefighters come out of the fire academy. So um, previous folks didn't have to have those. So as our uh, more experienced firefighters uh, retire and our new firefighters come in, they will all have those certifications. So in five years, we'll look a lot better on that as well. And then the final area is uh, fire inspectors are required to have five years of experience. And so we're working with the locals on on way we can do that. Right now, a lot of our um, firefighters rotate through the Bureau of Fire Prevention and they do it on a, a more frequent basis than five years. So we're working on a way to get that credentialing and keep people in the bureau longer. But I mainly wanted to say thank you for all the support um, to make this happen. This was truly a team effort. City Council, your unwavering support over the from the strategic plan to the ballot measure to um, new station 24 to um, renovating all the stations. The city manager and the CMO also offered the similar support during all of those events. And of course the community voted for uh, proposition one. Our fire department team has been um, dedicated to make this happen. So I'm really proud of them. And really every director in every city department had some measure um, of contribution to, to making this happen. I like to call out Kirkland Public Works for the water supply system that is one of the evaluation criteria and Kirkland has a stellar uh, supply system for water. And then NORCOM is just one of the best dispatching um, entities in the state. So we thank you. I just, just proud of everybody for all this that they've done. Great job. And that's really my presentation unless you have any questions? Council questions? Joe, I can't tell you how proud I am of you. Um, this has been a long, long battle to get to where we are, and you have just been steadfast all the way through. So I think your name belongs at the top of that list, um, and I believe the whole council feels that way. So um, well done. Let's shoot for number two. <laughs> thank you, and we will do it. All right, thanks much. Okay, this takes us, to, that's the end of our special presentations. 
Uh, we are now at item number seven, public hearings. We have a, a public hearing to receive public comment on multifamily tax exemption, MFTE, target area amendment. Um, do I need to read the ordinance, city, Man or city attorney? I think you just open the hearing with a reference to the ordinance and uh, call on the city manager. Okay, then I did, and, and I call on the city manager. Okay, uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, so uh, we're going to have a presentation uh, before testimony uh, by our senior planner, Scott Guter. And the purpose of this uh, public hearing is then to have action about the next council meeting and the uh, new target areas as a result of the stationary plan that was recently adopted. So uh, with that, I will turn it over to Mr. Guter. Looks like Allison to me. There I am. Okay. <laughs> Hi. No, I know. I, I, you see this um, presentation, and you think Allison right here, um, <laughs> because uh, she spent so many years uh, with this particular slide um, in front of you. Um, but good evening, um, Madam Mayor, Deputy Mayor, and Council. And unlike uh, other pre uh, stationary presentations, tonight's presentation is brief. It only contains six slides. <laughs> there. Um, you know, tonight's council will be conducting a public hearing uh, on adjusting two uh, of the city's multifamily, uh, multifamily tax exemption target area maps in association with recent zoning um, uh, amendments adopted with the station area plan. First, the council will receive uh, this briefing on the topic. Then council will conduct a public hearing to receive a, any public testimony after closing the hearing, uh, council will deliberate on the proposed amendments. The ordinance with, uh, with any of the council's changes uh, will be placed on December 12th's consent calendar for approval. So what is multifamily tax exemption? This state legislation enables uh, cities to encourage affordable, affordable multifamily development with its, um, within its urban centers and urban growth areas. No, Kirkland has 11 such, uh, such areas from Lakeview to the Kingsgate neighborhood. The tax exemption applies to qualified multifamily development uh, and exempts taxes on the value of res uh, residential and associated parking improvements. These uh, tax exemptions are carried for a period of 8 to 12 years, depending on the amount of affordable housing provided. Two of Kirkland's target area maps relevant to the greater downtown uh, Kirkland Urban Center and associated with the uh, recent station area zoning are proposed for amendments uh, to, uh, to include areas not previously multifamily. The first includes an area uh, previously zoned, multi, uh, or zoned light industrial technology and is now urban flex. The second includes uh, previous low density zones, now zoned neighborhood mixed use and civic mixed use. After this briefing, council should hold the public hearing and collect public testimony following the public meeting. Uh, see, uh, the council should consider the public testimony gathered and deliberate on the proposed amendments. And again, after this meeting, the ordinance will uh, the ordinance with any of council's changes will 
be placed on the consent calendar for approval at their December 12 council meeting. And with that, my presentation is over. Do you have any questions? Thank you. Are there any questions for Scott? Okay, I will now call upon any members of the public who have signed up to address the council. Luke Travis has signed up, but he didn't indicate which public hearing he wanted to address. Is he here or online? He said he was. Ah. The other one? Okay. <laughs> All right. No one has signed up for this hearing. And no, nobody online? Nobody online. Okay. In which case, I will declare this items from the, or not items from the audience. Hold on just a second. Public comment portion of this hearing is now closed. Council will consider all public comments received on this issue, including those received in writing. Okay, this takes us to item B, the Transportation Improvement Program. This is a public hearing to receive public comments on the 2023-2028 Transportation Improvement Program. I will now open the public hearing. City Manager. Okay, thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, so this is a public hearing on the Transportation Improvement Program, and we're going to be getting the presentation by our Capital Projects Manager, Rod Steitzer, who I'm hoping is logging on. Actually, it'll oh, I'm sorry, George Manassian, our Capital Project Supervisor, is here. Um, I would note, uh, just uh, for the public, that the reason we're scheduling this now, the council had raised the uh, thoughtful issue of there was usually a discussion of this in June, six months after the capital projects were adopted, and the TIP is um, supposed to follow those. And so this public hearing now will allow the council to consider the TIP in January, shortly after the council actually adopts the capital improvement program. So a much more logical connection between when these two actions occur. So that's why we're having this hearing tonight. Um, and so with that, I will turn it over to uh, Mr. Massian for the overview. Thank you, City Manager. Good evening, Madam Mayor and Council. I will share my presentation. Uh, I'm here to talk about the proposed transportation improvement program for the 2023 to 2028 CIP update. The Transportation Improvement Program, TIP, aligns uh, with the transportation elements of the 2023-2028 CIP update and addresses all components of cities' transportation system, such as sidewalks and pedestrian facilities, bike facilities, safety, capacity improvements, and maintenance. The state mandates uh, requires agencies to pass a, uh, a TIP, to adopt a TIP after a public hearing before July 1st of each year. And on June 6, 2023, the council uh, inspired, uh, asked us to see if we can potentially update the TIP hearing and process uh, schedule modifications to better align with the CIP process, just like the city manager uh, mentioned earlier. Consequently, I'm here today for the 2023-2028 TIP public hearing, and the adoption of this TIP is tentatively now scheduled to, to be on January 2nd, 2024. In your packet is included an Exhibit A, which is a TIP project map that includes all the locations of the projects that are in the TIP, and also a list of these projects 
with a description and funding sources of these projects. That's exhibit B. Working with the transportation group, we divided the projects included in the tip by category. And the result is shown here in the pie chart and the accompanying uh, table. 46% uh, of the projects are capacity projects. 25% are maintenance projects. 14% are safety. Uh, and non-motorized are 8% with public transit being 6%. Tonight's uh, public hearing is an opportunity for the public to comment on the TIP, the proposed TIP. And the purpose of a public hearing on the TIP is to provide an opportunity for the public to comment on the proposed TIP and provide input about transportation projects being planned by the city. Adoption of the proposed TIP, like I mentioned, is now tentatively scheduled for January 2nd, 2024. Any changes as a result of tonight's public hearing will be addressed during the TIP adoption process. Once adopted, the TIP will be transmitted to uh, State Public uh, State Department of Transportation, Puget Sound Regional Commission, neighboring agencies, and King County. I will be happy to answer any questions you might have. Oh, thank you, George. Are there any questions for George from the council? Uh, seeing none, I will now call upon any members of the public who have signed up to address the council. The first person who's signed up is Luke Travis. Welcome, Mr. Travis. Thank you, Council. Uh, this is more just in a response to the study session that I saw uh, earlier this evening. I just wanted to express my support for the evaluation framework and prioritization that was outlined, and especially many of the insightful comments made by Council in support of a transportation framework that's appropriate for a growing city like ours and the um, environmental impacts that we'd like to see going forward. So thank you very much for your efforts in this area. Thank you, Mr. Travis. Is there anyone else? The next person who signed up is Alex Zimmerman. Mr. Zimmerman, please be sure that your comments are reflective of the Absolutely. Under the transportation problem is a, a very big pain. I know this. Yeah. Zikhail. Hmm? Start the timer. Yeah, please start the timer. Yeah. Thank you. Mm, three minutes. What's going on? Oh, okay. Zikhail, my <clears throat> Dory Dem Nazi fascist. Yeah. Uh, why fascist? And I explained to you where is the problem in transportation, what is Zikhail. We, we have a classic fascism, and right now I give you detail what has happened with transportation. We can, don't have problem with transportation. We have problem with transportation or another problem when we can fix this. Transportation, we cannot fix it. Yeah, we can put a couple stone for CDWAC. Yeah, we can do this. Fundamentally, for last probably 10 years, situation come to critical to all east side. Not only Kirkland. Not only Redmond, not only Bellevue, not only Mesley Island in Issaquah. It's a fundamental problem, but it's half million people don't care. You understand why I'm talking? 
how we can make better transportation, how much money we need to expend to transportation so make life better. For example, Sound Transit spent $160 billion. <laughs> what has happened? Nothing. Street same, but as I see this 20 years ago, nothing changed. Guys, situation what is we have right now absolutely critical. And I give you example of plan what is have, for example, Bellevue now. For another 20 years, 200,000 people supposed to become to Bellevue in working. This not to Bellevue. This to Kirkland, this to Redmond, this Mesley Island in Issaquah. All this site will be nightmare. We have right now a situation with transportation that is probably more dangerous than New York downtown. Why? Why half million people so quiet when come to this problem? Why fascism, classic fascism, when government accept corporation? Is this exactly what has happened? Amazon and Bellevue is a classic example. I don't talking about another corporation. I try to understand why government doing like a fascist is a problem. Thank you very much. Thank you. No one else has signed up. Is there anyone else in the audience who would like to address the council with regard to this topic? Okay. Public comment portion of this hearing is now closed. The council will consider all public comments received on this issue, including those submitted in writing. Before we have a motion on the consent calendar, I'd like to ask Deputy Mayor Arnold to present an audit of the accounts. Thank you, Madam Mayor. We had payroll in the amount of $4,460,285.95 and bills in the amount of $6,731,734.88. Thank you. Can I get a motion to approve the consent calendar? So moved. moved. Second. Moved by Councilmember Falcone, seconded by Councilmember Black. Uh, discussion? Councilmember Pascal. I'd like to pull item, let's see, 8H. One, which is the, relating to the school impact fees. Okay, to the business agenda? Yes. Which will make it item... 9C. 9C. All right. Uh, Councilmember Curtis. Thank you. Madam Mayor, I'd also like to pull AH2 Tourism Development Committee Tourism Funding for further discussion. Thank you. That will make it item 9D on our business agenda. And with that, is that an amendment to, to the consent calendar? No. Uh, then all those in favor of the consent calendar as adjusted, um, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. And that takes us to our first business agenda item, which is the preliminary 2024 property <clears throat> tax levy adoption. City Manager. Okay. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. So uh, the action before you tonight is to adopt the preliminary property tax levy. Uh, you held a public hearing. Uh, here to walk you through that is our Finance Administration Director, Michael Olson. 
Good evening, Mayor, Deputy Mayor, and Council Members. I hopefully have a brief presentation on the property tax. Um, just 10 slides. <clears throat> First, we'll start with the background on the 1% property tax cap. This is set by state law. It was established in 2007 for capping uh, property taxes at 1% growth, but also including um, new construction. Noting that when inflation is below the 1% allowable increase, it is also limited to inflation, which happened, I believe, in a couple years during the Great Recession. You can only take the greater of one per, the lesser of 1% or the rate of inflation. Also note that the 1% increase in property tax is much lower than the CIP, and I just uh, listed the last uh, next year's, this year's, and last year's CIP um, um, up on the screen. Also noting that the wages and benefits of Kirkland employees, including firefighters, police officers, public works and parks, grows faster than 1% as we need to um, pay our employees um, competitive wages and benefits to keep them here. And um, the past practice of Kirkland is to, like most cities, is to take the allowable 1% increase each year. And I'd like, also like to note that the increase is uh, assumed in the 23-24 budget. And um, Kirkland has taken that 1% increase every year since the state legislator capped it at 1%, except for the years where inflation was lower. And that is also the 1% is significantly lower than the rate of increase in supplies, uh, which has been 40% since 2020. Property tax in the state of Washington is very complicated. Um, as we've mentioned before, it is a budget-based property tax system. So the 11 taxing districts that are in King County have an amount of property tax they collect. The county takes all that property tax and divides it into the assessed valuation of the properties in the city of Kirkland and comes up with a rate. So everybody in Kirkland has the same rate. The labor so rate is- Michael Manor, for just a second, we are probably not sharing the presentation, so we've got some comments on that. Just go back to share that real quick. Thank you for that. Um, so uh, again, uh, Washington State property tax is a budget based. It's based on the budgets of all the taxing districts and an equal rate for all the um, properties in the city of Kirkland. That means that a 1% increase in Kirkland's property tax doesn't equate to a 1% increase in an individual property owner's tax increase. It's, it's part of the total rate. And the changes in um, Comparative changes in assessed valuation to other properties also affects a person's rate, and it depends on what other jurisdictions um, collect as property tax. This is a pie chart of 2023's property tax distribution. Again, Kirkland is just under 12% of the total property tax a property in the city of Kirkland um, has, which last year was uh, just about $7.40 per thousand of assessed valuation. A little bit of background to the levies themselves. The property tax levy has to be established annually. It has to go to King County before uh, November 30th, and it includes the base levy and new construction and prior year levy corrections. I have a, the last year's new construction was just about $590 million. 
you take that 1,000 uh, divided into there and multiply it by last year's levy rate to come up with just over 500,000 of new construction value. And then we, in our Kirkland in the preliminary levy, tripled that number because we don't have the final new construction number. And if you ask for less from King County, they'll give you exactly what you ask for. If you ask for more, they'll cut it off with a statutory limit. So this assures that we get our statutory limit in the new construction. And then we bring back a final levy ordinance after we know the exact rate. And so the, the, the community can know the exact rate that our, our levy is calculated on. I have a few slides on just detailing some of the numbers. On this one, you can see where the optional 1% increase comes from. Our base levy last year was just under $42 million with five parts, as you can see there. And you can see the 1% increase on last year's base levy adds to just about 417000 New construction that uh, we said was 510000 You can see which piece of that goes to the base levy. This slide also includes prior year levy corrections, which are added back into the levy amount. And we also, for the first time, have a tax increment area amount of just over 71,000. And that, uh, those, that revenue will be set aside for the uh, stationary plan projects when we begin those. And then we have the artificially high new construction increment of just over a million dollars to give a, ourselves a buffer. This slide shows the calculation of the 24 preliminary levy with all the pieces um, adding up to there. And then we take the total city of Kirkland assessed valuation of just over 43 billion and come up with a preliminary levy rate of just over a dollar for a thousand of assessed value. And you can see the last 12 years history of the property tax levy rate. The next steps are adopting the 24 preliminary levy ordinance, and then we bring the final levy to council for approval later when we have the final numbers from King County. Any questions? Questions, comments, council? Okay, um, thank you for that. I think I will now need a motion. Motion to move ordinance 4862. So moved. Second. Been moved by Deputy Mayor Arnold, seconded by Councilmember Black. Um, all those, or any discussion? Seeing none, uh, Clerk, will you please call the roll? Councilmember Nixon? No. Councilmember Black? Yes. Councilmember Curtis? Yes. Councilmember Falcone? Yes. Councilmember Pascal? Yes. Deputy Mayor Arnold? Yes. Mayor Sweet? Yes. Um, Motion carries. Okay, that takes us to. I'm not seeing very well. Oh, we are on 9B, the state legislative agenda. 9B, the state legislative agenda. City manager. Okay, thank you, Mayor. Uh, so we're looking for final action on the legislative agenda. Uh, here to give you an overview of that is our government affairs manager, Diana Hart. And I'll also have some comments from our legislative work group as well. So uh, take it away, Diana. Thank you. Good evening, Council. Um, I have a quick PowerPoint for you highlighting the um, changes that were indicated in the memo tonight. Um, as you know, the legislative agenda is made up of three components. Um, we'll get started going over the changes to the general principles. 
Um, the primary change, well, the only change to this section is that the legislative work group recommended from the version you saw last month was the inclusion of and related documents at the end of the third bullet to acknowledge that there are supporting documents to those adopted plans that have also been adopted by council. So think transportation master plan for the comprehensive plan and so on. Um, looking into our legislative priorities. No changes were recommended to the first priority item related to housing. This fairly broad but intentionally targeted language acknowledges that there will likely be numerous policies targeted at housing generally and more specifically at TOD and REIT this session, um, but that we won't know every proposal at this point or how they'll iterate throughout session. Instead of bogging this document down in the details, it gives clarity to the general framework with which we should approach these policies, support tools and funding to increase access to housing when it comes to DOD, support framework that results in transit-oriented development with community benefits, which for Kirkland will look like, likely look like inclusionary and incentive zoning, and when it comes to funding options like REIT, support for an increment dedicated to affordable housing. After further conversations about the new policy item related to judicial flexibility, we determined that this item wasn't quite ready for prime time on the city's legislative agenda. As noted in the memo, this flexibility needs are the inverse of what was initially identified, but the programs that utilize those revenues are different and therefore require further stakeholder conversations than would be possible in a short session. Um, so recommend removing that item. And then after some initial conversations with our delegation, it became clear that there was an opportunity to support behavioral health policies, but no current language to allow for the higher level of engagement that Kirkland could offer as a leading city in this space. With that, the legislative work group proposes to add the following language around enabling support of legislation that increases the capacity of the crisis response system and support for local programs that connect individuals with needed care. Um, and then no changes are proposed to the 1% property tax cap item. Next, we head to our budget requests, starting off with our two capital budget requests. Um, we are finalizing our one-pagers for these two capital budget requests. The Everest Park restroom facilities updates request in the 48th will be for $750,000 of the total 2.3 million project cost. And the O Denny Park safety and access improvements request in the 45th and 1st is for $450,000 to kickstart the projects identified in the Holmes Point transportation study with an RFE crossing and sidewalk improvements. To loop back to some of the community questions about sport field improvements at other parks like at Juanita, those improvements are identified in the city's pros plan and CIP, but the costs are in excess of $12 million, which is much higher than we are able to secure in awards from the state capital budget, especially in a short session. The next in our budget request related to the state's transportation budget, there are no proposed changes to this language which then takes us to our policy champions. Um, there are no proposed changes to this list, similar to the general principles that the legislative work group believes there's value in doing more than just simple support for policies identified by an ally organization. The legislative work group will return to council for approval prior to further action. This list is currently made up of the same groups that were on the support agenda last session and fall into the following buckets as we've used in the past. So these should look pretty similar to the last presentation. Uh, that completes um, my presentation. Council has an opportunity to approve the legislative agenda through the resolution tonight. Of course, you're welcome to make any changes you see fit. 
legislative work group will meet with our delegation as they do each year and our legislative coffee starting tomorrow morning and through the next few weeks. Then before you know it, we'll be back to the 60 day short legislative session starting in January. As a reminder, AWC Action Days is early this year, January 24th, 25th. And then after you've had a chance to discuss and adopt the city's legislative agenda, I do have a quick slide on SEA's legislative agenda for a discussion that I'll bring up after. So with that, can pause and turn things back to you. Thank you, Diana. Um, Councilmember Curtis. Thank you, Madam Mayor, and thank you, Diana. Um, first, I wanna thank the council for their input on our legislative agenda. And I want to thank Diana and Andriana for the work in the interim and the improved gorgeous agenda and the policy champion ally organization documents. You've really cleaned these up and they're readable and they're great. Um, I do want to say for the community, because we have received feedback on uh, the property tax increase greater than 1%, that has been on our legislative agenda since 2016, is not a new priority for the council. We also received an email recently from the Seattle King County uh, Realtors about our support of REIT 3. I am having a conversation with them next week. REIT 3 was on our agenda last session. And um, as we know, we are in affordable housing crisis and REIT 3 could bring Kirkland four to six million dollars to help fund housing projects. So we will discuss that. Um, and our first legislative coffee is for those of us staying up late tonight, bright and early tomorrow. So again, thank you for your work, Diana. Thank you. Any discussion before I get a, ask for a motion? Then I'm gonna ask for a motion. So moved. Second. Okay, it's been moved and seconded to approve resolution R5608, approving a city of Kirkland legislative agenda to be addressed to the 2024 session of the Washington State Legislature. Moved by Councilmember Curtis, seconded by Councilmember Black. Any discussion? Councilmember Nixon. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. <clears throat> well, uh, both in my preceding vote and in this vote, I just want to make it clear that uh, I very much appreciate all the great work that's been done by staff and the council on, on these areas. Uh, but I'm taking this opportunity one of my last opportunities in my life to vote no on a tax increase um, or a request for a tax increase um, to just reflect the sentiment we've been hearing from the community that they are still struggling and um, uh, would prefer to not have the city be advocating for a significant property tax increase. So I'll vote no, but think of it as a soft no. Thank you very Thanks. much. Okay, with that, question is on the motion. Uh, to approve resolution 5608. All, this is a resolution, right? Okay. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? No. The motion carries six to one. Okay, that takes us to item nine. We have uh, one update on the SCA legislative oh, that's agenda right. as well. I'm sorry about that. Go ahead. So um, just wanted to give you an opportunity to discuss the SEA uh, legislative agenda that will be going before PIC and the SEA board next month. Councilmember Falcone serves on the board and the board's legislative committee and will be Kirkland's uh, PIC representative at the December meeting. A copy of the agenda was emailed to you all earlier today. This slide shows the high level points for each of those items on the agenda. 
Um, the agenda does seem to be more closely in alignment with the city's agenda than it did last year, but there was a request to make sure that council had a chance to discuss before the pick rep would be asked to vote on the item next month. So with that, turn things to you. And I'm gonna turn, ask council member Falcone, who's our member on the board about their discussion last week. Thank you very much, Madam Mayor. Yes, as uh, our mayor mentioned, I'm on the SCA board and also on the SCA legislative um, committee uh, on the board as well. And I will also be our pick representative uh, next month when we discuss this. Um, as usual, you know, we really, uh, SCA tries hard to um, create an agenda that really is to the benefit of all of our cities. Um, as we've experienced in the past, SCA and the SCA board really wants to work with cities to make sure there's no strong objections to anything, that there's no harm done by anything on um, our legislative agenda. So I really appreciate, thank you, um, Councilmember Curtis, for requesting that this come forward before full council, before we bring this, um, before Kirkland uh, provides comment at the uh, PIC meeting next month. We also just note we also have a legislative committee meeting on Monday, December 4th or 5th, whatever that Monday is, um, prior to the PIC meeting as well. Um, and just a reminder, since we ha now have our newly adopted legislative agenda, if we could send that off to SCA as well, because part of our process is reviewing every city's uh, legislative agenda just to make sure that we've kind of covered the main themes, which I believe we already have. Uh, but this is before you tonight, so that if there are any objections, um, any discussion, any questions, I'm also happy to answer. If there's like minor um, detailed questions, I'm happy to provide answers offline as well. Thank you. Thank you. Any further discussion? Deputy Mayor Arnold. Just a quick question. Under the topic of improved public safety and uh, tools and resources for officers there, is there any SCA level discussion of changes in pursuit policy? Because I know that was a tough discussion last time and would um, not want to wade into that um, again as uh, Sound Cities. Yeah, that was a pretty um, controversial discussion, an interesting discussion that we had. There wasn't um, uniform agreement among the committee on, um, but there was certainly interest expressed by some members um, in um, increasing ability uh, to pursue specifically for um, property theft and crime. So there was discussion, but it's not part of what's implied in, in this particular category for SCA support? That's my understanding. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. <coughs> thank you both. Okay, and thank you, Diana. With that, I will go to item 9C. Um, this is the ordinance 4863 relating to school impact fees and amending section 2708150 of the Kirkland Municipal Code. Mr. Manager, you want to kick it off or should I just turn over? Well, I just uh, want to say we don't have a formal presentation, but uh, we do have the planning staff, city attorney and I are able to answer questions and provide comments if council has questions. Thank you. Then I will turn it to council member Pascal. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Yeah, I have some comments that I'd like to share on this, uh, but before I do that, I'd just kind of give an opportunity for the staff to maybe respond to a couple questions. One is, did you have any dis discussions with Lake Washington School District on this? And then two, um, if for some reason, if we were not to take action tonight, um, what happens? 
I can address the first, and I'll ask the city attorney to address the second. So yes, we had several uh, layers of discussion. Um, the planning staff had some initial discussions when the impact fees were sent. Uh, uh, the primary issue, I think, as you're all looking at, is there's a pretty significant decrease in the impact fee. Um, and the city highlighted that maybe there was a way to look at moderating that or phasing it or in some way taking another look at it to see if that drop made sense, um, given the construction that was probably likely in Kirkland and, and the fact that in Kirkland we seem to be having uh, higher populations going into school, which may not be true across the whole district. So um, we did talk about that. We also raised it at the legislative work, excuse me, the Lake Washington School District Coordinating Committee work group meeting, and then we had a follow-up discussion with staff. Uh, the city attorney also talked to the school district's um, attorney on this. Um, the school district appreciated us um, talking about it. What they said essentially is this is the methodology they've been using consistently um, for a long time, and that they did not see any need to change it at this time, and that this was the result of that methodology. So um, they're doing it the way they always have, that just resulted in a significant decrease in the fee. Okay, well thanks. No, I think the city attorney was gonna talk oh, yeah. about the, what happens if we don't. All right. Thank you, city manager, and thank you for the question, council member Pascal. Uh, we have a municipal code chapter on school impact fees, as you know, and, and the, the ordinance provision that would need to be amended to reflect a change in the school impact fees is uh, KMC 2708150, and our municipal code chapter um, states that the uh, school district shall annually submit uh, a capital facilities plan that includes a, a proposed impact fee amount, and that the amount set forth in our ordinance uh, should be the fee that is set forth in the school um, capital facilities plan. There are other a reminder that the that that the impact fee is collected on behalf of the city at the on behalf of the school district at the request of the school district and and in our municipal code we have agreed that their methodology is the methodology that will be used to determine the impact fee. So, in the absence of a change, the 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 fee the impact fee in the ordinance would remain the same, but it would be inconsistent with the other requirements of our code that require us to conform to the school district's request in their fee schedule as set forth in their capital facilities plan. Okay. So if we don't take action tonight, the deadline is the end of the year, is that right? Because this becomes effect, this is supposed to become effective uh, January 1st, or is it effective upon adoption? You know, what's, what's the, the deadline, I guess? Allison, I see you nodding your head. Do you want to speak to that? Yes, the request from the school district is that these new fees become effective January 1 of 2024. So they are intended to be the fees for 2024. Okay. Okay, well, I mean, that's helpful. I just wanted to get a little bit more clarification. I, I pulled this, uh, just I have, I have concerns just about the big swings in, in the school impact fees. I'm sure, you know, many of us share that. And what, what comes to mind for me is over the last 10 years or more, you know, one of the largest challenges that we've been facing um, in the city is really a school capacity and modernization uh, issue. Um, it's, it was a major focus of the 85th Street Plan. And the messaging from the Lake Washington School District over this period, and this was even before I was on council, I served on their long-term facilities task force, 
was that existing and future residents and families have been sharing equitably in the cost to address these capacity constraints and needs. And this has been through both levies and bonds that the uh, taxpayers have passed, but also through impact fees. Um, so the changes that we would be approving tonight are just not consistent with any of that messaging and any of that previous policy. And then basing these impact fees on a six-year CIP and, and hearing from the school district, well, this is the way that we've done it, we're essentially beholden to these large swings in costs uh, with little bearing on kind of what the long-term needs are over, over time and trying to thoughtfully plan for that infrastructure that is needed to serve the growth in our land use plan and our vision uh, for the city. And what's interesting is the school impact fee program is unlike any of our other impact fee programs because it doesn't spread the cost over the 20-year life of the comp plan. It spreads it over the six-year CIP. And so it's beholden to these economic swings um, that I think over time really impact, further impact the school capacity issues. Um, and then on top of that, I think as the city manager said, Kirkland still has an overcrowding issue in some areas. South Kirkland is a prime example where um, the elementary, the elementary uh, Lakeview is overcrowded. It has been, we've been hearing about it for, for ages. They have a new elementary school plan, but yet we're unable to charge uh, for those impact fees um, and plan thoughtfully for that um, so that that can be a reality down the road, especially as 85th Street um, plan takes form and, and bridal trails and so forth where there's gonna be more uh, needs in that area. And so in my mind, what do we do about this? For me, I would, I would like to hear directly from Lake Washington School District. I'd like to hear a little bit more on the changes that they're proposing. How did, why didn't they consider a change in a methodology to avoid this? Um, have they looked into different methodologies? What are those methodologies? What would it take to perhaps consider those? Um, and then what we can do to help support them on that? Give, right now, I just, uh, I'm personally not going to be able to support this ordinance without hearing more from Lake Washington School District. Thank you. Further discussion? Councilmember Falcone? Thank you, Madam Mayor. I have a, um, I think about this, I share Councilmember Pasquale's concerns. We have students who for um, many, many years have been having classes in portables, meant to be a short-term solution, has turned into a long-term solution. The school district acknowledges that and understands that they need to increase building capacity and yet um, at that same time are reducing school impact fees as they know that their projections district-wide are projected to decrease, but within the city of Kirkland are projected to increase. And so it does not make sense to me um, why, why um, they want us to take this action. My understanding is that under their current calculations, they can legally collect close to double, or you know, a lot more of what they're, they are proposing, even based on their own calculations. So I wanna understand their methodology and also their rationale behind um, this ultra-conservative budgeting that they're doing that really is to the detriment, I believe, potentially of, of students in our school district. Um, and so I think of this in both um, short-term and long-term solutions, right? Um, first, short-term, I want to better understand a follow-up to Councilmember Pascal's question about the deadline. Um, what would be the implications if we tabled this and asked the school district to come back at our December meeting? I know we already have a lot on the agenda, but this is very important and has implications for families in our school district. Would we still be in compliance with what um, 
the school district needs and asks of us and be legally compliant if we postponed action until our next meeting? I believe if you did take action before the end of the year and it went into effect in January, you would still be compliant. But I'll look to the city attorney to see if there's anything in the ordinance that says otherwise. No, I think that's, I think that's right. Um, action taken at the December meeting would, if adopted, go into legal effect five days later, and so it would be in effect before January 1st. Okay, thank you. So um, not yet making a motion because I have more comments, but that is... Um, Potentially something I want us to look at short term because I think this is a this is I don't think this definitely is a really important decision that will be impacting families in our community and can have long lasting impacts and we need to make this decision thoughtfully. So thank you, Councilmember Pascal, for pulling this from the consent agenda. Um, I don't know how it got on the consent agenda. I think it should have been part of our business agenda. Um, long term. Uh, you know, I think we need to have more conversations with the school district. I think uh, we need to coordinate more with other cities in the school district as well on issues such as this. I know at our last coordination um, meeting with the school district, I had asked the superintendent if we could convene a meeting with um, the other cities and the school district to discuss comprehensive plan updates so we can more holistically look at things that we're considering, I know, in Kirkland. And I want to know what other cities are considering related to school district properties, such as, you know, rezoning to allow workforce housing on school district property, for example, to help with our housing affordability crisis. I'd like to add this um, to our ask of the superintendent to convene um, a meeting with um, all the cities uh, within the school district to discuss school impact fees as well. It's something that impacts all the cities. We should have a discussion. We should um, better understand how these calculations are being made and how um, it's meeting the needs of constituents within our city. So that's long term. What I'd like to, you know, have that be an agenda item with the school district. Short term, I'd like to move that we table, I wanna make sure I do this legally properly so I'm looking at some of the folks that I trust to help me with that. Um, I'd like to move that we table this discussion until our next meeting and request the school district to provide us the information that uh, Councilmember Pascal had requested during his comments. Second. Okay, it has been moved. I'm gonna give that second to Councilmember Black because I've got a stronger right ear. Um, so the move by Council Member Falcone, seconded by Council Member Black, to table this item to the next meeting to bring it, bring the school district on board uh, for more information pursuant to Council Member Pascal's uh, questions. Point of order, Madam Mayor. Can a motion to table be discussed? I think some of us have some comments, but I don't recall whether it can or not. I believe it's not debatable, the motion to table. Yeah, but um, I think a motion to postpone would be debatable. Can I do like a friendly amendment? Oh. Okay, so we, I could, we, we could vote no on tabling and okay, then let's make a new motion to postpone. Okay. Oh, I withdraw. I don't want my motion turned down. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the motion has been withdrawn. So. Madam Mayor, I move to postpone our discussion on this until our next meeting and any action on this until our next meeting to include also inviting Lake Washington School District to address the questions and concerns outlined in our discussion tonight. Second. Moved by Councilmember Falcon, <laughs> seconded by Councilmember Black to postpone this discussion to our next meeting. Do we have any other discussion? Councilmember Black. Yes, thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, so, um, I just wanted to add my voice. I, I, I think when we all 
every every single one of us when we got this memo, we were like, what? I mean, it didn't make sense. Staff's memo, this, the, the staff's memo made clear that the staff was shocked as well. Um, and it was clear that the the staff had conversations with uh, the school district to try to understand. I, you know, I do understand that um, the agent, the um, the school district is a separate agency, um, and they have their own um, independent uh, legal constraints, uh, both statutory and also just frankly their own um, uh, management of their own uh, risk and liability. So uh, I get that, but I think what we're proposing here just to find out. Do, to uh, explore the question just a little bit further and make sure we understand particularly um, what they feel like they're legally, um, uh, the ways in which they are legally constrained are important for us to understand. I think it's before we, we take this action. That's why I seconded this postponement. I'm hoping that conversation can, like we're proposing tonight, happen between now and our December meeting. I hope, I'm hoping that uh, we'll have the answers to those questions. Uh, at least as best as, as as can possibly be presented to us by the by the school district, and that we'll then be able to take action. I do want to be in compliance with our with our municipal code with respect to the impact fees, if we possibly can. But I think these are important questions that need to be asked. So, um, uh, I think that's it. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember Kruder. Thank you, Madam Mayor, and I also strongly support this. And as Councilmember Falcone said so clearly, and Councilmember Pascal, that we have worked so hard on creating higher capacity in the school district, and this is the opposite of what our goal, and it's not what the community has asked us to do. I, but we're running against a deadline that don't, is only three weeks out. And so it, it, personally, it would be helpful for me. I support having these additional meetings with the, um, the coordinating group. But it would also be helpful if uh, a representative from the school district came and spoke to us on the 12th um, so that we can ask questions directly. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Arnold, or Deputy Mayor Arnold. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I'm going to be voting against this resolution. The process that the city takes in impact fees is entirely passed through. We're the agency that that is processing building permits and is in a position to uh, support the school district in it, but uh, this body has um, uh, no role in setting those impact fee levels. I think the discussions that um, my colleagues are bringing up tonight are valid ones to bring up with the school district leadership through the coordinating committee that we already exist or in informal um, conversations with the school board, but it's not our role to hold up this process of collecting impact fees, nor can we set them different than what the school district has justified. Impact fees are paid based on growth, um, and we're, we're seeing the justification through the school district's process on, on, on growth, and I don't uh, see any value in holding that hostage. Although the issues are being brought up, I think they are good ones. Um, I think that um, it's not uh, appropriate to, to stop the process moving forward and should be handled in other ways through the coordinating committee and, and um, other conversations, conversations that we could have with our colleagues on the school board. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Nixon. Um, thank you, Madam Mayor. I was going to make a comment about sometimes taking hostages actually accomplishes something, but I won't say that given the world situation. Um, but the 
fact is that we ought to leverage this opportunity to be able to deliver a clear message to the school district that we have problems with how they're planning what happens in Kirkland. Um, just recently, I've been hearing from many parents in Kingsgate that they are just completely fed up with the situation at Kamiakin. And uh, it's, I think it might be one of the few schools in the city that has not yet been updated. Um, and people complain about the stench. Uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's not um, a pleasant place to spend the day of school. And, um, you know, I look at this and they are uh, saying rebuild slash enlarge. And, you know, I would like to get enlarge struck out and say, the school needs to be replaced. And just to have the opportunity um, to have a public conversation about that, I think would be beneficial. I mean, the, the, the deputy mayor may very well be right that ultimately we just need to move ahead. But to, I, and we could have some private conversations in our committee meetings or in our side conversations with school directors but to give the people of Kirkland an opportunity to, to submit their feedback and have an opportunity in public comments and otherwise to get the message across that they're not happy with what's happening with the schools in Kirkland, I think would be a good thing for us to do. Thank you. What an interesting conversation. You want to go again? One more time. All right. Thank you, Madam Mayor. So. Um, don't disagree with anything that's said. I do think it's, um, I, again, I'm re reinforcing uh, my second to this motion that I, I think this conversation is helpful. I do want us to be realistic, and I want, our, I want the public to be realistic about what we are able to do as a city, uh, given that the school district is own, uh, again, separate agency. And, you know, I am not an expert on, um, on school district uh, the financing or the, the legal statutory constraints under which they're under, but I have had conversations with members of the school board in the past, and they've talked about their own frustrations with the statutory limitations that they're under when it comes to uh, funding uh, long-term growth and planning for 20 years. Um, I think there are reasons related to statewide funding of schools that schools are discouraged from um, forecasting um, that far out. So I think, there's a, I think there are public policy reasons out there why schools are under these constraints. So I just want us to be realistic. I want our public to be realistic. But I also think it's definitely valuable to have this conversation with the school district. Um, so I support that. Thanks. OK. Um, oh, Council Member Pascal. Thank you. Sorry, I, didn't, I haven't gotten to speak to the motion. Um, I, I, the only thing I'd add is is that I am realistic about this. Um, I recognize that, that methodology, we're not gonna come back with a, a new methodology in three weeks. Uh, but what I'm cognizant of is the influence that we can, we can provide. Um, and I think that it doesn't mean that we can't still do these other things, talk to school board members, maybe even uh, trying to set up a meeting with the coordinating committee and, and whoever at the school district to, to discuss kind of our thoughts, um, Councilmember Falcone and I. This wasn't a topic, I don't recall this being a topic at any of our prior meetings, um, this, this change in impact fees. Um, so that would make sure that we have those conversations ahead of time.
but the ideal situation for me coming out of this would be some type of acknowledgement um, and in the best case scenario, scenario, commitment to at least evaluate how changes might be considered um, down the road. That would be like a win for me. Um, I don't know if that's possible, but that's my hope out of this. I just want to be very clear about where I, what my expectations are. Thank you. Okay, just my two cents. <laughs> I think Deputy Mayor Arnold is right, but I'm gonna vote with the resistance. <laughs> um, I, I agree, the conversation needs to happen. Uh, I have listened to John talk for years about being on that the capital facilities, going through that program with Eric LaLiberty. Um, I, I, I think they need a better system and we need to give them a wake up call. So the question is on the motion to postpone um, the passage of this ordinance moved by council member Falcone, seconded by council member Black. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? No. Motion carries, six to one. Okay, that takes us to item 9F which is now the Tourism Development Committee Tourism Funding Recommendations. You want to go straight to okay. Councilmember Curtis? Or? Yeah, again, we don't have a presentation, but we do have staff here to answer any questions that Council might have. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Mayor. So um, I recognize that these are recommendations and the Council does not have the authority to make any changes, but it, I was curious, the strategy seems different this year in that we gave grants to a smaller group of organizations, uh, larger grants, and we left out some historical ones, such as the three-on-three -three basketball and the really popular Norwitz fe uh, Festival. And I'm looking at the chair of the committee, uh, Councilmember Nixon, just to, just to learn a little bit more about the process. Sure. Um, Madam Mayor, may I have oh, absolutely. Okay. Um, and yeah, it, it, there's no question. This is a different direction. Uh, but I'd like to have a couple of minutes to say how we got here. <clears throat> um, for a number of years, the, the TDC has been looking at kind of what the fundamental purpose of the lodging tax is, which is to pool funds from hotels in order to get more customers in hotels. That's fundamentally what it's about. It's about heads and beds. And um, thinking about how do we pursue that fundamental purpose better. Um, and one of our major focuses for several years, for, I'm going to go on a tangent for a second and just say, I have really loved being chair of the Tourism Development <laughs> Committee for the last, what has it been, 11 years? Something I like that. I think so. I was only chair a couple of years. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, whoever gets it next. It's a fun job, yeah. Um, so we, we focused a lot of energy on trying to recruit new multi-day athletic events that would have not only a lot of participants but a lot of sponsors was kind of limited success. And, um, uh, but at the same time, we, we recognize that even small one-day events um, pr present a positive image about Kirkland and the kind of values that we have and, and uh, can help attract visitors. So, uh, you know, a little bit of 
um, a struggle there, but still with that fundamental purpose of the law in mind. Um, during the pandemic, um, we changed um, how we were doing tourism marketing. Uh, before it had been bring travel writers, bloggers, have them write articles. It always had fairly limited circulation. Uh, running ads in airline magazines, you know, those sorts of things. And um, we completely revamped it. We actually fired our marketing consultants and said, we're going to focus 100% on a digital marketing campaign. Um, and we ended up uh, putting every available dollar that we had into search ads, uh, social media ads, uh, improving the Explore Kirkland website, just going all in on digital. And um, uh, we leveraged grads from the, the Port of Seattle uh, in that direction. Um, we used federal funds uh, to fund the Kirkland Cash Program to help support tourism-related businesses uh, during the downturn. And um, uh, our feedback is that this all went pretty well. Um, it's, uh, I, I think we really had a positive impact on the recovery of the tourism business in Kirkland by these measures that we took. Um, <clears throat> we also recognized that um, the way that we had been doing it, funding around two dozen events with relatively small amounts of money, involved a great deal of overhead. And um, I don't know, we've never really had a presentation from the staff on what was involved in executing on that program. But we had to get not only the, the applications and presentations and all of that, but once a grant was approved by the TDC and the council, um, we had to go through a process of getting a contract signed with every one of those for even if it was only for a thousand bucks, it was just as much work as for the ones that were 15,000. Um, and then they had to, uh, we had to follow up with them to, to get all of the documentation of what their expenses were, and they get the data that needed to be delivered to the state. Uh, and this was always a struggle and very staff intensive. And uh, the TDC wanted to try to figure out how to reduce that burden. Um, <clears throat> so I, th I think most of you are aware that historically the TDC has hosted a, a meeting four to six hours long um, where we bring in every applicant and they do a presentation on their plan, on their event. Uh, and then the TDC is able to ask questions about that. And then we use that as the basis for making the decision on who to give grants to and how much. This year, we, we did it differently. We still brought everybody in who applied, but we said, okay, we've, we've read your materials. We don't need a presentation on your event, but we wanted to have a conversation with each of them about how the world had changed uh, and what we had been doing with digital marketing and how they would feel about being supported by the city in a different way than had historically been done. And um, uh, with the primary idea being that uh, advertising for their event 
would be integrated into the overall city digital marketing program in a, smooth, a smoothly integrated way. They could, they could provide their, their graphics, their videos, um, their logos, all of those things, uh, and they would be included in the city's marketing program. So instead of going through a lot of trouble to give them you know, a few hundred or a thousand dollars for, to run some ads, they would give us the materials and we would run the ads for them with our very experienced and uh, very effective uh, uh, marketing consultants. Um, and that proposal was very well received um, with a couple of exceptions. And those couple of exceptions were like the really big events that were spending far more on advertising than what the city gave them to start with, right? They already had advertising budgets of tens of thousands of dollars. Um, um, so the TDC decided on the basis of that would be to, number one, focus the direct cash support on a few major events, multi-day events that had pr were proven to have the ability to bring overnight visitors to the city. So that meets the heads and beds goal. And the other would be to uh, offer the digital marketing advertising support to all of the other events that applied. Um, and uh, they would be relieved of the need to do all the state level reporting. The staff would be relieved of having to create contracts. And we confirmed with the city attorney's office that if the money stayed within the city budget and was spent directly rather than funds being going out to the sponsor, then they would not have to sign a contract or anything. We could just establish rules for how how we would use the information that they provided us to include them in the city's marketing program. Um, so the, the TDC um, made that decision, and then what we basically had to do was decide which major events would be funded and at what level. Um, the, uh, the level of targeted advertising for each of the specific smaller events uh, would be based on the best professional judgment of the marketing, the digital marketing consultants as to which ones would be um, uh, most likely to attract the greatest number of visitors to Kirkland um, uh, with the staff participating in that. Um, and um, the, the, the large events, um, w our basic principle was continue to fund them at the level that they were uh, but there were a couple of them on the list that where we provided more funding this year than we had last year. And that was to help cushion the fact that this year they're having to pay fairly significant um, uh, facility rental fees to the city uh, based on decisions that the council previously made. And we don't necessarily expect that cushion to continue into the future. Um, uh, the hope is that they would be able to um, absorb those additional costs into their ticket prices going forward in the future. Um, but at least for this, this one year to be able to, uh, to help them out that way. So um, 
assuming that this all works out as we expect and that we hope, um, we would look forward for next year to have a more simplified application, a more, a, a more simple process for people to, who are sponsoring events in Kirkland, even if they're not in city parks, even if they're not at the KPC, not in a city facility, but just anywhere in the city, to submit information to the city staff and then to be included in the digital marketing program. Again, with the level of targeted use of funds based on the professional judgment of the staff and uh, it, it might, the TDC might get involved in this in the future as well, but to um, uh, allocate most of the funding that had previously gone, gone out in grants into this digital marketing program, but in a way that directly supports the events and meshes with their own advertising. Um, so that's how we got where we are, and I'm happy to answer any questions you might have. Other questions? No, and I, I sincerely appreciate you taking the time to explain that. What is not a surprise is my current concern is losing new and diverse events. So it, it, I think it'll be important to say what was the impact, as you said, what was the impact you know, what was our assessment of the impact and did we lose and are we discouraging other events from applying for these dollars? Yeah, and I think the cultural events that um, were funded, uh, like last year, mm -hmm. um, will still be funded uh, this year, but it will be by the city directly spending right. money on advertising rather than writing them a check. Actually writing checks. Right. All right, thank you. Well, I appreciate that explanation because I can remember when we first set this up, we had so many problems with just even understanding how to, how to set it up properly and to get the contracts done and then all of the reporting. So um, that sounded like a bit real success from the TDC as far as I'm concerned. So thank you for that. You're welcome. So could I get a motion? So moved. Uh, a motion adopting the Tourism Development Committee Funding recommendation. I'll second it. Moved by Councilmember Curtis, seconded by Councilmember Nixon. Any further discussion? All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Motion carries unanimously. I believe that is the end of our business agenda. And we'll take us two reports. Um, to, er, Councilmember Nixon. Nothing to report. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Black. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I was just looking at my calendar for the next uh, few weeks. It's unbelievable how many um, how many events. I'm not going to go into all events, but I mean Winterfest, um, Google Lights, uh, Light Up Kirkland, um, our Menorah Lighting. Um, those are just the ones related to uh, to holidays. Um, so a ton of stuff coming up. I mean, it's exciting. It's a chance for us to uh, connect with our uh, our community and celebrate with them and but oh geez i don't know <clears throat> i think my clients may have something to say about um, my availability um all right i did want to um uh, quickly give a shout out to uh city staff um and i attended the um the meeting of the downtown businesses uh to get uh, an update on the the pedestrian scramble 
um, at Lake Street and Kirkland Way. And I just want to say to the city manager that I thought um, his staff did an excellent job of, of working with the, uh, the community. Obviously, there's, there's some folks who are, um, you know, potentially uh, going to be impacted. Um, it's hard to forecast. Um, for them and for us, how much they might be impacted, and so there's there's the perception of uh, potentially a severe impact, and so there are definitely some concerns expressed. But I thought the staff did a really good job of um, <clears throat> uh, presenting and really opening up the floor for uh, um, actionable ideas that would make a difference. And I think out of that came some really interesting um, ideas from from uh, the group of business uh, leaders there uh, for small things that we can do uh, to to help lessen uh, the impact during that what's planned, that eight-week closure. So uh, kudos to uh, Kirkland City staff on that. Uh, Christian and Christian in particular deserve special um, kudos. Um, I did want to let uh, remind folks again um, that the Racer Principals Assembly uh, we're meeting again in a week, uh, so I will circulate materials and let me know um, once you receive those if you have any questions about them. Um, also coming up is a Regional Law Safety and Justice Committee meeting. The reason I'm bringing that up is um, because the leaders of the Regional Law Safety and Justice Committee have asked the City of Kirkland, me. Um, to do a report out about our crisis clinic. They just want an update on Kirkland's crisis clinic. It remains um, something that the uh, regional community um, around public safety, uh, criminal law, and uh, access to justice remains uh, acutely interested in. So I'll be doing a five-minute report out about where we're at on the, on the crisis clinic. Um, I really enjoyed the fire push ceremony. Um, a bunch of us got to push a really heavy fire truck into a into a, a, a brand new fire truck into a bay. I just that was it was way too much fun. Um, so really enjoyed that. Speaking of fun, uh, the mayor and I got to uh, handle a chainsaw together at a leaf at electric um, you know lawn equipment uh, demonstration that we held for the whole region. Another, I guess, kudos to staff um, on a, a really well organized event and. Um, really informative and I loved I got to participate in a in a uh, in a little uh, competition between an electric leaf blower and a and a gas-powered leaf blower and that was uh, a ton of fun um, real quick I'm sorry I apologize um, there was one other thing on my that I wanted to highlight for my colleagues oh um, No, never mind. Um, thank you. Uh, that's all I have. Thank you. Councilmember Curtis. Um, just two things. Uh, Councilmember Black was very good with that leaf blower. I think that they wanted to hire him. Um, it, if you have, there is going to be a round two. If you have a chance to go, it was an impressive event. What was impressive to me was the participation from uh, people on the ground in public works and parks from different cities who arrived as skeptics but they were willing to come and look at the equipment and have conversations with each other about uh, Kirkland's program and how it could possibly work. It was a really creative conversation. Um, the other thing that Councilmember Black didn't mention is that he and I attended the community dinner at the Safe Parking Program. If you have an opportunity to do that, do it. 
The conversations are very real, and it is a way to remind all of us why we do the work that we do in building a safety net for our vulnerable community members. And with that note, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I agree. I've attended some of those community dinners as well, um, and it's a great opportunity to connect with folks in our community. Um, I will keep mine relatively brief and not comment on all of the many activities that we have attended and will be attending. Um, I will just focus it on things requiring some um, attention from council. Uh, um, as we discussed at our last meeting, we have the SCA annual meeting coming up on December 6th, and we also have the SCA North Caucus meeting on December 13th. We need to send a voting delegate to both, and we need to let um, SCA staff know I will be attending both. I am happy to be voting delegate, but don't need to be. Um, so we need to make that decision. I forget the deadlines on each of those, uh, but just wanted to alert council and the mayor of that so that we can make those decisions and let SCA staff know. Where is the 13th meeting? Gonna the 13th is virtual. And the sixth meeting is in Renton. Okay. Annual meeting on the sixth. And are, aren't the people in Renton? Yeah. From here? Yeah. Uh, I've got a Hope Link board meeting. So I can't. Who, who's planning on attending? I'm just curious. And you guys work out the voting member. <laughs> <laughs> and for the SEA caucus meeting, this is where we will be voting on um, representatives for us on the board. There are two seats that one is completely open um, and we're actively recruiting for, and the other one um, uh, is a seat that um, Mayor Polly will be rerunning for. Okay. <clears throat> I'm, I can go. I don't need to be the voting member, but I don't know if it's appropriate for a board member to be the voting member, right? They have in the past, in my experience, but okay. um, I think that's... We'll just leave it up confirm to you, on who we're going to do. Yes, we will All figure right. that out. Um, so that is that related to SCA. Another update, um, just on the letter that we sent to um, SCA, we have had a... I think you may recall that we decided to send a letter... Um, to the SCA board and SCA pick um, with our thoughts on a uh, potential ballot measure next year by King County on climate action. And um, SCA pick did not have a quorum that evening of our meeting. And so did, we're not able to discuss it that evening. Um, a separate conversation that SCA staff raised that we will be reconsidering our bylaws and what SCA pick can and cannot do when they do not reach quorum, whether they will still meet and just not take action. Um, it, Apparently, we need to, to clarify that in our bylaws. Um, there was So we did discuss it at our board meeting, and there was uh, fairly strong support among board members that were present at the meeting. They were very appreciative of Kirkland bringing this to SCA's attention and to the board's, board's attention. We did have a discussion where we debated whether the board should just vote immediately to, ha to send a letter to the um, King County Executive or whether we should first run it through PIC. There was some discussion of just the time sensitivity, sensitivity of this matter since it was seemed to go through um, King County Council very quickly. There was some feeling of urgency to take action quickly. However, we did ultimately decide to ask SCA staff to draft a letter to bring forth to PIC at its December meeting for discussion. 
um, and then a follow-up potential board discussion following that. I don't know if that will be on our December uh, board meeting agenda or our January board meeting agenda, only because our December board meeting agenda, we're, we're keeping it intentionally short just to take quick action, and that could be potentially added as quick action, uh, and it will be a purely virtual meeting. We're not gonna, we are, do not intend to have a lot of discussion at that December meeting, so I'm not sure whether um, some more to come on that letter, but thank you. Um, just wanted to share that thank you from the SEA board for raising this uh, to their attention. And that's it, Madam Mayor. Thank you, Councilmember Pascal. Thank you, yeah, just a couple uh, actual requests. Uh, one was, I, I was hoping to get an update on the stores to Shores Greenway, and it looks like uh, we just got an email on that, so I haven't read that yet. Uh, but I, I know we've received a number of comments, both from the market neighborhood about routing across market and through the neighborhood, and then uh, previous comments that we've heard from a number of folks around the routing through Highlands. So I was interested in learning more and what we're doing, and are we considering different routes, and how do those routes compare to the original routes? And I'm assuming that's maybe in the email. Yes, and if I could, um, staff is planning to come to council in early 2024, hopefully your Jan one meeting in January, to provide you with an update. Um, the proposed route that was initially in the PSRC grant is being, we recommend changing it, but we want to review that with you. Okay. Great, yeah, that'll be good to, to hear more. Uh, the second uh, re request for an update was we received a letter a while back uh, several months ago from the ASB uh, body from uh, Juanita High School requesting renaming of the school entrance to Ravens Way. We brought that up with the Lake Washington School District at our coordination committee uh, meeting, and they were going to look into it. I think I've heard that they've approved the request or that they were going to talk to the, the high school. Have we heard anything more about that? We have not, but Andrea Campbell has been uh, picking them is on our tickler file. So we've sent them a draft resolution and the question that they were going to be asking ASB was uh, whether it was Raven Way, Ravens Way, as in plural Ravens, or Ravens apostrophe Way. And so wanting to make sure we get that right. But they are aware that we wanted to have an event here. And our goal is still to see if we can get it done in December before the end of the year. So, um, and we'll follow up again. But we've been, we've been giving them gentle pings saying, We'd like to get this closed. So, good. That's good to hear. Thank you for that. And then finally, I just would say that I'm unfortunately disappointed. I'm going to miss some of these cool events coming up: um, the Google Lights, Winterfest, and Cultural Arts Commission interviews next week. So, I'll be out of town. Um, but just wish everyone happy Thanksgiving. I guess. Thank you, Deputy Mayor Arnold. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I sent council an email uh, last week on the ETP legislative agenda. Uh, we have a draft legislative agenda. ETP will be meeting on December 8th before our next council meeting to, to approve that. Uh, the changes in the legislative agenda from the previous ETP legislative agendas talked about the 405167 um, funding gap, which we have in our own legislative agenda. It added some issues with regional roads in between cities and the issues with fu uh, funding them. Woodenville had an interesting solution where they want to use their own impact fees to help in those roads connecting to their cities. 
uh, that was included. And then there was some commentary also about the importance of transit being funded at the state level. There wasn't a specific ask, but it's in the narrative. Those are the substantive changes. Just wanted to see if there's any feedback that you all have for Councilmember Black and I as we go back to ETP before our next meeting. Thank you. Okay. Anything else? Oh. Councilmember Black? Oh, well, just for, uh, for the Deputy Mayor's edification, we, um, I did raise this with the legislative work group. We did discuss it, and we, the, the, really that exact question, do we have any feedback for ETP, and, and we did not. Um, so, all right. Thanks. Great. Okay. Uh, I don't really have anything to add. That push-in was really fun. We're going to push in two more this year. I highly advise bring bring children out to participate because it's pretty exciting stuff. Um, I was honored to uh, be requested by Northwest University to uh, to their provost installation. It was a really fancy turnout with all the robes. Everybody was robed, and everybody. I mean, it was just amazing. And um, Dr. Drivnall is just she Drivdahl is an amazing. Um, academic who is so excited about our crisis clinic work and the racer work and she's already up to speed on it she'll be leading their behavioral health programming well she'll, she's, she's a provost so she's leading a whole lot of stuff um, but that was really a, an honor um, and I also was at the stand up for Israel uh, rally on Sunday I was I spoke at that I was asked to to bring a charge uh, David helped me, as he always does. Um, it was an incredibly well-attended affair. There were at least 500 people there, and um, we marched all the way. We marched all the way, but we marched from the pavilion where Rabbi Rivkin kind of had organized everything. He was absolutely wonderful. Told, told the story of how he and his five kids and his wife had been in Israel the week before, just sort of checking in on things, and had to respond to the air raids. And they had 30 seconds to gather all five of their kids and get them to air raid shelters multiple times during their stay there. That it was just absolutely incredible. And then he played an, uh, 30, sec 30 seconds of the air raid sound for the crowd. It was, it was incredibly moving. Anyway. Uh, and no protesters, no, it was just universally happy. Everybody was like, yay. That was cool. Now, over to you, city manager. Uh, <clears throat> thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, uh, just a couple quick things. Uh, first, and I don't think I've actually connected with Councilmember Black on this, but uh, the racers principal meeting, when the ILA passed, we had a commitment to have three meetings in the calendar year. We've had a hard time getting the principals to a meeting in December, and so it looks like that might carry over into the first two weeks of January. So we're going to miss our deadline a little bit, but uh, the meeting on the 20th that it was originally scheduled is also now the uh, North End Urban Oh, the NAHUSA, I keep forgetting with all the acronyms for it, but Human Services Alliance uh, got its award ceremony moved, so several of the members of the principals are also on that group, as well as the staff for the racer. So we're trying to find another date, but just want to let you all know that that time's going to be moved out a little bit. We are going to send a update to the principals, which will also forward to the rest of the council, just as a, a written update before we can have the next meeting, but um, I just want to make sure everyone was aware of that. Um, I had on my list to talk about the greenways and 
uh, you've received an email from Julie Underwood that has an update, and I was going to mention that we're going to come back to the council with a more full briefing since that's a topic that the community cares about. So, um, but much more to come on that. Um, I want to thank Deputy Mayor Arnold. He uh, was willing to move our council check-in call yesterday so that I was actually able to attend Brad Miyake's uh, retirement ceremony. Um, the reason I'm bringing that up is I think most of you may know this, but just in case you didn't, that Diane Carlson, who's the current deputy city manager, has been appointed as the city manager. Um, there is some discussion. I don't yet know if she'll be the permanent, but uh, they're having those conversations. But <clears throat> they're pretty excited to have her, and she's looking forward to it. Um, we definitely welcome Diane. I know Julie and I both work with her very well, and we're looking forward to that. But it was also nice to get a chance to say goodbye to Brad. He's been a tremendous friend to Kirkland for 10 years as the city manager. I'd also had over 30 years with the city of Bellevue um, in, in various roles. So um, it was fun to get a chance to check in. But so I really appreciate it. Deputy Arnold was willing to move our meeting. Got a chance to go down there. So, so. Um, um, and then finally, kind of on that same note, uh, I've had a chance to talk with uh, each of you about this a little bit, but I just want to let you know that tomorrow we're going to be sending out an announcement that uh, a truck dealer has agreed to be our interim public works director. We're very grateful that she's willing to do that. <laughs> and yeah, so I'm uh, very excited. I think many of you know she was the general manager of the uh, greater LA County Vector Control District and had many similar responsibilities uh, to our public works job. So she'll be doing that as the interim. I'll be sending out an announcement to the um, I'll email tomorrow about that, but I just want to make sure the council heard it first before that goes out. So, but if you had a question, Councilmember Member Nixon, about that. Oh, just if you know who the interim HR director is going to be. <clears throat> that is still a work in progress. So that's, <laughs> that hope will happen. I, oh, and I'm going to make that effective December 1st. Um, and so just as uh, Julie Underwood's been straddling her new job and her previous job, truck will straddle for a little bit. Uh, so we'll sort of ease into that, but we are working and should have something to say about HR pretty quickly, uh, we hope. Um, also, we'd like to see if we can get that in effect also on December 1st, but there's still some things to work out there. So, And that is my update. I want to see if anyone has any uh, calendar updates. Councilor Goulart? I do not have a calendar update. What do you want to do? I had my hand raised right before he said about <laughs> calendar. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, I think uh, several of us are, are uh, meeting with our new deputy city manager, Julie Underwood, to talk to her about what her vision is for her, her role and, question, and, and you know, share our uh, thoughts. I, I'm assuming a lot of us would probably love to have that same opportunity with respect to uh, truck and just our, her vision for public works and our, you know, our vision. So hopefully we can set that up. Happy to do that. Thank you. All right, thanks. Great suggestion. Yeah, that's very exciting news. Uh, any calendar updates? Seeing none. Okay. What time is it? 9.31. This is an additional time in our meeting when we normally hear from the public on matters, matters that are not quasi-judicial or otherwise scheduled for public hearing on our agenda. And assuming the rest of the meeting has been concluded before 10 p.m., is there anyone from the public who wishes to make comments now either in person Anybody online? Okay. Is there anybody in the audience who would like to make comments? Seeing none, I will declare this items from the audience period complete and take us to adjournment. Thank you very much and happy Thanksgiving. And now I'm so excited. Thanksgiving, everybody. Thank you.